0: He has to pay the iron price. Yeah, he has to pay the I will never respect you while he lives. Watch it
1: all come around as I lay on the ground. Chakri, Cersei,
0: ill and pain to hound.
1: They all think I'm lost, but I know where I'm found. I'm the blood in the north when it all comes down. My word is my bond and my bond is my word. Valar, Harris, all men must serve.
0: See as the raven flies and time slips by. Valar, Mahmouda, all men must Hello and welcome to the Game of Thrones podcast brought to you by BaldMove.com. We are the gods of tits and wine. I'm your host, Aaron. And I'm Jim. Uh, who's tits and who's wine? I call tits.
1: Ah, damn it, you beat me to it. Uh, can you claim something like claimed.
0: that? Claimed. Tits are claimed off the board. This week, I will accept the god of wine. Alright. roll. It's not a bad god. No, I enjoy wine. I Clearly like wine. not as good as tits. Obviously. But still, you know, as far as second best, it's it's not... That far behind, it. <laughs> uh, let's address the elephant in the room first of all. Okay. Uh, what the hell happened to the Night's Watch? And since I'm kind of representing both sides of this, I'll, I figure I'll take the lead on it if you don't mind.
1: Sure, go for it. Uh,
0: so Night's Watch is a podcast that I did with my good friend Mad Brew, and we've been doing it uh, ever since season one started. We had all the seasons covered. Um, Jim and I also friends, have been doing all the other television podcasts. If you're not familiar with our works, uh, we do Breaking Bad, Mad Men. uh, We've covered a little bit of Justified. uh, We do The Walking Dead. And this year, we've kind of been growing this network and audience and advertisements and stuff. Uh, We did a few Kickstarters last year. We've grown it to the point that Jim and I have kind of pushed our life savings and our 401ks and everything else into the the middle of the table and said, we're going to try to do this full-time. Because our fans has said, we want you to do more, more, more. <laughs> our bosses and our jobs are saying, we need you to do more, more, more. And yeah. something had to give. So we're kind of taking a leap of faith, hoping that if we do really good work, that. And a lot more of it. And a lot more of it, <laughs> that, you know, between the fans and sponsors and all that, that we will be able to eke out a living here. So it came time to start talking with the Mad Brew about this. The Mad Brew. If you've known him uh, over the years in the podcast, has a little bit different outlook on a lot of different things. And he is very much against the concept of things like gatekeepers and charging things, even though our podcast is always going to be free. We're never going to charge the podcast. We're just basically offering ways for fans to support us and finding sponsors and things like that, which takes a lot of time and effort to get, do those campaigns. Um me and Jim were from the position that we've got this pitch where basically, Hey, this thing that we've always been doing for free, now you can do it uh, and get paid to do it. Um, and we offered my mad brew a partner share. We were just going to split everything 33, 33, 33 out of consideration of us bringing all the revenue and all that stuff and the network to the table and him as his, you know, uh, job as host. And we thought everything would be cool. He was not cool with it. Um, and to this day, I don't know that I can fully articulate why exactly he, the things kind of broke down and we decided to scuttle the night's watch. Uh, if you would like to get his side, we're still friends. This wasn't like a bitter thing. Uh, you can go to madbrewlabs.com, hit this contact page and, you know, talk with him directly if you want. Cause I, again, it's far be it for me to, to try to talk to about his opinions or whatever. Uh, but we couldn't agree on the split of the money. Uh, Jim and I wanted to do instant casts. Uh, Jim has actually moved uh, from Indianapolis to Cincinnati, so that we and he's in fact living in my, the same apartment complex. We built a studio here so we can do these things live and have immediacy. Uh, we couldn't get that same kind of arrangement with Mad Brew. And also the naming rights. One thing uh, you know, that we were saying, if we were going to bend over backwards as far as splitting the money – we least wanted to make sure that we only had to do this once and we wanted a non-exclusive distribution deal, not ownership of the the rights of the night's watch. Cause that's something that Madburn and I came up together. Um, he came up with the logo, he sourced the music, but, um, regardless he was opposed to doing any kind of sharing of any kind of rights at all. And that's just a tough position to be in when you're, Uh, In my position, I'm a host, I'm I'm arguing on the talent side, but I was also arguing on the network side and saying, look, we can't carry something that you can just add a whim in the middle of the season, or if you die, or you get divorced, or something catastrophic happens that we have no rights to. It just doesn't make good sense. So we went around, and I was very confident that we would come to an arrangement, but after weeks and weeks and weeks, it got to be two weeks till the season, and we're like, look, is this going to happen or not? Um, Madbrew decided he just, you know, he, he really didn't want to do it. Um, not the podcast. He was in favor of doing the podcast, but he didn't really want to make any of these compromises. And we decided to blow it up. Uh, he wanted Night's Watch taken off a bald move. So right now you can't find a Night's Watch anywhere. Now me and Madbrew are working together to put an archive of that somewhere separate from bald move on the net. I will probably promote it here because I'm proud of the work I did there. I've got hundreds of hours into that project. I want to resurrect it. I want it to have continuity for the fans. But unfortunately, because there's a lot of legwork to do there, it's probably going to be a couple weeks before we get that restored. And I apologize for that. But them's the breaks. Um, I'm not happy about losing Mad Brew. Uh, I'm not unhappy about having Jim as a co-host, obviously. Um, I know some people prefer... Mad Brew to Jim. I know some people prefer Jim to Mad Brew. Um, All I can say is I hope uh, if you're disappointed, uh, you'll give us a fair shot, and uh, hopefully we can win your loyalty. Now, what is different about the Night's Watch versus the Game of Thrones podcast by Ball Move? Still got me. Jim, you have not read the books.
1: I've not read any of the books. Not even cracked a cover. Um, Not even read the sleeve on the back. Nothing.
0: So from there... Uh, he doesn't even know what the two R's in George R. R. Martin stand for. <laughs> um, so from there, him and Mad Brew are very similar. Um, I will say that the thing that's different is that you are historically not a fan of fantasy. Sure. I, I don't like most fantasy. We're going to go with that in a minute. Mad Brew is almost exclusively a fan of fantasy. Okay. Um, you are a, very, a, a great fan of quality television. Sure. Mad Brew really isn't. And then sometimes okay. that came across like he is it got his narrowly defined niches, like he likes his uh comic book entertainment uh he likes his fantasy, he likes stuff like justified, mm-hmm. but mad men breaking bad uh crap, total boring <laughs> unmitigated crap okay uh, if Game of Thrones to each their own Game of Thrones gets a little talky crap (laughs) you know and that came through that you are more you know so you're not a fan of fantasy but you are a fan of great television I think there's an interesting trade-off there
1: yeah I would say so I mean I don't know uh and uh, apologies because I'm sick right now so my voice is a little uh, on the fritz but I I don't know what his views on like a lot of the stuff that happened with Tyrion in previous seasons are because he tends to get a little talky uh, especially when he's dealing with everyone um, likes Tyrion though Sure, yeah, it's hard not to like Tyrion. <laughs> He's a, such a great character. Um, but I really, those are the parts I specifically enjoy. Like, th- I, don't, I don't know. I had a hard time with... The political machinations. I, I really enjoy that stuff. All I right. have a hard time where it comes to, like, Melisandra, for instance. The shadow babies. When she starts birthing shadow babies, I totally tune out. And, and her and Stannis' uh, storyline right now is probably the least interesting thing to me in the show. right simply because it has to do with really fantastical elements
0: let's talk about this a bit why do you not like the interesting thing is like you would not be caught dead reading lord of the rings sure i wouldn't read it but i like the movies a lot you did like the movies yeah wouldn't be caught reading game of thrones but you do like the television show you like science fiction you're a science fiction fan you love star wars what's the problem with fantasy
1: so the reason that I like science fiction is because it extrapolates on rules that we already have in the real world. When it comes Debatable. to fantasy, <laughs> uh, good science fiction okay. does, right. in my opinion. All right. Um, when it comes to fantasy, it can take any form that it wants. There are no restrictions on fantasy, and some people like it for that. I, being a very logical person, am <laughs> not a big fan of that because – Birthing a shadow baby—is that the only thing she can do? Is that like one of her special talents? She can birth. It seems like um, she can do anything she wants. She can birth a
0: mean shadow meatloaf. (laughs) I mean, it's delectable.
1: Sure, I'm just saying, like. I don't know what the rules are
0: there. It's like a green you haven't lantern. established any rule. It's like Green Lantern, like anything she can imagine is like a shadow. <laughs> M one Abrams pops out of her vagina and starts ravaging the battlefield. Like you just don't know. Sure, that's the thing. The like, sky's the limit. Whatever George R. R. Martin decides pops out of a vagina is what you got to accept. You <laughs> don't like that.
1: I yeah, I cannot abide that. Uh, but the other thing is not only what she can produce from her vagina, it's also her vagina. <laughs> so, I told you, man, my voice is very bad today uh from her vagina but like can she do anything else like what can't she do there are no rules on what she can't do so could she take king's landing by herself could she walk through the gates and deflect spears Mm. off of her lizard skin i don't know well that's the problem i have
0: so what i will say about the world of uh, song, you know, the Song of Ice and Fantasies or Fire, so, a song of uh, or Game of Thrones, a Song of Thrones, a <laughs> Song world of Ice and Virgin bullshit. Um, <laughs> is that the fantasy elements are pretty light? In mm-hmm. fact, up until recently, there has the magic has been White Walkers, yeah, all basically. but all but extinguished in this world. Like people, it's yeah, science yeah. is kind of taking over, mm-hmm. and that the return of dragons, the return of the White Walkers, uh, even Mal I don't Sandra, even consider
1: dragons magical. Like, they have defined rules, in my opinion. They are flying-winged beasts who can shoot fire.
0: Right, okay. Um, but these things are all kind of interconnected, and even a person like Melisandra might be surprised at the things she's able to get away with. Okay. Um, but I will say that the I think the rules are kind of consistent, and they're not like... Uh, sure, I, I wouldn't
1: argue they're not consistent. I just don't know what the limits are. Okay,
0: all right. Well, I mean, I could, that seems like a reasonable viewpoint.
1: And with the war, it's like we just found out that as a warg, you can control not only animals, but people
0: as well, mm-hmm. or, or at least Hodor. Well, your people are animals, someone would say. What?
1: They are? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but but that was something that Brandon didn't know he could do, um, and the guys who were with him kind of had to tell him, yeah, you can do that, but that's not something most wargs can do.
0: Right, because it takes a, a particularly strong will to over, you know, I, I guess... Some inference, because a lot of this isn't spelled out. It's inference you make. Like oh, yeah. Like, the simpler yeah. the creature, the easier it would be the to warg into it. Sure. Um, and we're going to start experimenting with basically warging in the trees and what kind of effect that can have. You know, I'm
1: year. super curious, because the other thing that I'm not a big fan of is... Uh, tree hugging? Tree, no, tree faces. Tree there faces? There are a lot of tree faces in this show, and I don't know where that's leading yet. Hmm. I've heard... I want to say some of the characters have talked about some sort of tree magic... Uh, but I'm not certain. It's interesting, and that
0: that is scary to me. Huh. Well, I think a lot of this, you know, a lot of this is based on actual uh, historical precedents. And I, we, you turned me on to Dan Carlin's Epic History, and I just listened to the four-hour audio book that he produced called yeah, Thor, hard, Hardcore Hardcore History, history rather yeah. um, called um, uh, It was Thor's Angels, and mm. he talks about the Saxons in roughly the eight, uh, the 7th century. Um, maybe the eighth century. I can never, or maybe the ninth century. I get confused about if it's eight hundred. Is that that's the seventh century, right?
1: <laughs> uh, no, yeah. no, it's the eighth century. No, it's, it's the ninth. Be the 9th century, yeah, because the first one didn't have a hundred. It it's was just, just no double digits. It was yeah. no
0: century. Um, but Anyway, <laughs> uh, how similar they are to the mm. first men? They worshipped trees. Um, they sacrificed victims to trees. They did a lot of this stuff that's kind of very similar to the 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 uh, old gods at the North keep. Mm-hmm. And in fact, this is a lot based on the War of the Roses, which we've talked about. And I'm not familiar. I'm actually kind of getting into researching that because um, one thing that's changed from this season to last season was I'm I'm that I've now caught up and I've read through A Dance of Dragons. Okay. Uh, Before, it's like I always bitched and whined about A Feast for Crows and the problems I had with it, and I can never make it through. I've actually finished, pushed through, gotten through all those books. So now I I technically can't be spoiled. I haven't read all the Dunkin' Eggs, um, although I am working on that. I haven't read all the Winds of Winter preview chapters, and I probably won't because I know myself well enough that if I start reading those preview chapters – I'm going to be skipping around when it, the 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 novel gets released, and that's what killed me on a feast for crows. So. Oh, you
1: don't want to skip around, yeah? But you do.
0: You do. Like when feast came out, and like all the characters that I really liked, like Rob, for example, died. Okay. Yeah, you know, yeah. and I was just like, okay, I don't know this fucker. I don't know this fucker. Okay, Bran, I'll read this. Or I don't know this fucker, huh. Brienne. you know? I was. I kind of like started skipping around to the stuff that I was personally invested in. Is that?
1: Is that a viable way to read those books? It seems like he sets up things in chapters. Yes.
0: In fact, that really screws up your enjoyment. (laughs) Okay. I I, I still maintain I think Feast is the weakest of the books.
1: Oh, great. The one we're about to go into?
0: Well, here's the thing, and we're going to talk – let's just put a pin in that. Okay. We're talking – you're on trial here, man, not me. You're you're, (laughs) you're fandom. Uh, Because I know a lot of things when we announced that Mad is going to be returning, uh, I mentioned – because a lot of people always said – uh, you know, we have these fans that are kind of fans of all of our podcasts, and we have the people that are just fans of Game of Thrones. Yeah. The s- former group, a lot of times when we'd start up a new season of Game of Thrones, they're like, what the fuck? Where's Jim? You know? Um, sure. And so- some things I would say is like, you know, well, Jim is not interested in fantasy, blah, blah, blah. Um, the truth is, you weren't. Like, when I said, hey, let's yeah. do a Game of Thrones podcast, like, well, we're also doing a Mad Minutes, too, at a time. That's a lot of work, which... It totally is. Yeah, that <laughs> killed me every year I did it. Um, but you were pretty much a fan from the time Ned got beheaded. On oh
1: yeah, man. Well, probably even before that. I mean, anytime we see like Tyrion and uh, it, it was before Ned got beheaded. It was when Baelish and uh, kind of backstabbed Ned. That right. was maybe four episodes before that. Yeah. Um, that that was really interesting to me because, like I said, I like the political machinations, and that sure. was just such a big twist there. Uh, that I, I really started enjoying the series, and if it's gonna be, I said, okay, if it's gonna be that kind of party,
0: I'm in. And if it's if it's, you know, that's the thing, um,
1: I can deal with a White Walker or two.
0: This show, other than maybe The Walking Dead, and it's kind of a distant second, is mm-hmm. the only show that's really willing, and I guess Boardwalk Empire too, the only show that's really willing to take fan favorite characters <laughs> and almost take delight. And oh, you like this guy, you're you're invested in him. Well, yeah. And here comes the executioner. Sword. God damn it. Rob
1: Stark was one of my favorite characters. I was rooting for him to unite all of these kingdoms and just come
0: after. That's what we expect. King's after Landing, the Empire right. Strikes Back, you fucking Return of the Jedi, <laughs> and you blow up Death Star. That's George, what I really wanted, yeah. George R. R. Martin loves to subvert shit like that. Mm-hmm. I was the same way, and I think that's that's probably one of the biggest problems I have. at Feast, that I was just hung over from the death of Rob. Mm-hmm. I was like, who yeah. is now my new hero? Who is my new hope? Um, and I wasn't We can patient. talk
1: about that, too, because I've got some ideas.
0: Okay, cool. Um, so, just want to sit straight that you are totally jonesed about Game of Thrones. Huge fan of the show. The show is one of the best shows on television, without um, a doubt. And we're we're doing a lot more navel-gazing than we usually do, but uh, since we're yeah. switching feeds and switching hosts, I want to take the time to kind of explain our philosophy here. Uh, mm. This show is, is a good segue, we are a show-first. We have a show-first policy. If you're uh, the type of fan that wants to hear a bunch of people piss and moan about you know, Tom Bombadil but not being included in the Lord of the Rings movies. This is not the cast for you because we first and foremost judge on was this episode of Game of Thrones entertaining to someone that's not read the novels mm-hmm. um, or is not even a mega fan. Is it a quality piece of entertainment and drama and we analyze it based on that. We also have a spoiler section um, we're also not the type of cast that's just going to blatantly spoil you. We have a section um, where we play our theme music at the end of the podcast. Uh, and then we have a whole other section of the segment where I tell Jim to get the fuck out. And I just talk to you, the book fans, and the brave show fans that are can't resist, can't help themselves. Because I know you're out there. Uh. I was here every season. I know I shouldn't do it, but I did anyway, and it got spoiled well. <laughs> don't do it. It'll ruin you. Don't do it. The spoiler section... Uh, is is where we, the book readers and, and I, can speculate on how the show is being influenced or what we think is going to happen next. And we talk about the book stuff. This season, since I'm caught up totally, I'm going to institute another section called the Spoilers Beyond the Wall, which is like the second layer of spoilers where we start talking about hard coil, uh, hard coil, hardcore, uh, what Reddit would call tinfoil hat, theories tinfoil hat conspiracy theories of of different bizarre things that people have come up with and where we think the books are going and how they're going to influence Hmm. the show it's stuff that's like beyond show spoilers it's even into book type spoiler situation so do not and i'll announce that very clearly do not go to the super spoiler section unless you're ready to be spoiled on even the winds of winter preview chapters do not
1: go beyond the wall you need some kind of
0: Whistling winds and just make it feel really cold. I'm just gonna scream into the mic <laughs> as loud as I can for thirty seconds and people that, that if you're strong enough to withstand. I'm gonna blow <laughs> I'm gonna blow the dragon horn. Okay. Uh, anyway. Uh so we got that and in fact this week I'm gonna do the first one. Alright. The, the first tinfoils uh hat conspiracy uh I got prepped for. So I'm really excited about that. Um and also, don't be shy about including things from Dunkin' Egg and The Winds of Winter because even though I'm not going to read it, I have a very unique spoiler philosophy. And that I don't, you know, like I had the Red Wedding spoiled for me when I was, no. that's what caused me to read the books. I tried to remain pure. I was tr- minding my own business in a forum, and someone mentioned the Red Wedding. Mm-hmm. And once, it, it, and that was all it was. But once I knew that there was a concept of the red wedding, like stuff on the internet started popping out and yeah,
1: you started to contextualize things I'm like, that we
0: were seeing. Fuck it, I'm just going to read all the books.
1: Man, I have to say, now's probably a good time to talk about this. All right. I had the red wedding spoiled damn near completely. I knew that Rob died, I knew that his mom died. Uh, it really really ruined my enjoyment of that episode. Did it. Destroyed it because as soon as I found out the Rob was back where he was mm-hmm. supposed to marry this girl. They started showing close-ups of uh, whoever the guy was who actually got married that night. Yeah, Brendan. Looking at the women there, I was like, okay, well, he's going to marry one. There's going to be a wedding, and Rob and his mother are going to be killed. It, I just completely knew the track of the episode. Yeah. And so it wasn't nearly, nearly the shock that most people got to experience just watching the show. I do, I have, to, do have to say I love how they handled it. It was right. still very shocking in its own right, and and the choice to not have any outro music in that episode was mm. perfect. Oh, so just so good. just let it linger on that moment. I but I it ruined the enjoyment of the entire episode for me.
0: Um, I I mean I, it's weird because so my my feeling is spoilers are only spoilers if the stuff that you're watching relies only on the twist. Um, if something is just really good, you still can enjoy it. Cause so, so I actually went ahead and got split and I went and read the books and I just love seeing moments like when Catelyn pulls up, um, a Roos Bolton's yeah. sleeve and sees the chainmail, and then looks yeah. up at him. And like, that's such a great detail from the book. But
1: that was a twist, right? You didn't expect that to happen during the middle of this wedding. I mean, it was a big deal. It that was, but I'd say Tywin would I, kill people during a wedding.
0: Basically, what I was saying is like how well they're bringing the yes. horror I felt as a book reader and the sick that I felt like shit. Rob's being not just defeated on the field of battle, yeah. but betrayed by the very people that could have arguably t- turned the tide. Like his idea of going to Sack Casterly Rock yeah. was a sound one and could have arguably won. Sure. And made the series a lot interesting and have good kind of prevail over these fucking assholes. <laughs> uh, and and the fact that his own men did it to him.
1: Well, it's also interesting because he broke an oath to this guy. And so he's not totally innocent in this right. in this scenario. And I think that adds just a layer of complexity that you're not just completely on one side of this thing.
0: And that's what's so great about these books. Like, for example, Jamie Lannister Opens up the series by shoving an eight-year-old boy out a window. And you think that rat bastard, those fucking Lannisters. Yeah, yeah. Death to them all. Then you get to the bathtub sequence oh. at Harrenhal between him and Jamie And you think... No,
1: no him and Brienne.
0: Um, him and,
1: <laughs> him and, ja- and himself in a mirror.
0: <laughs> um, well, if anyone would be in love with himself. Um, yeah, yeah. But you get to Jamie and Brienne. And it's just such an epic moment. And you think, like, in this society, this guy with this set of facts what would that do to you and you start recontextualizing like you know he pushed Bran out of the window not just because he didn't want to get caught fucking his sister but that would call into question the legitimacy of all their children and then all their children would maybe be put to death and his lover would hmm. be and it's like and yeah. even in the books um uh Ed, ned makes a point of, like if it was his kids on the line and he had to kill some child that didn't make. It's like, what would he do? Mm-hmm. I hope I never put in that situation. And that's the great thing is it takes people like that, and you know, Theon, and um, hmm. you know, seeing Arya's arc and the Hound, and it makes you really question what you would do in that situation. What is good? What is evil? What oh, is absolutely. duty and honor and loyalty? And that's the, that's what I think is the best thing about the series.
1: And when Jamie lays it all out in the bathtub, there. um it also cast a different light on Ned because yeah. Ned wouldn't have wanted to hear and didn't want to hear Jamie's side of the
0: story for why he killed the mad King or what's interesting, and i don't I actually think Ned would have done the same thing as Jamie
1: mm-hmm.
0: I'm less convinced about what like a guy like Sir uh, Barryton Selmy or Arthur Dane would do, but if you put a guy that takes honor and duty above all else, he might have let a half million people die, yeah. Because Maybe. of what, how he saw his duty. And, like, do you prefer that kind of man to the Kingslayer? Yeah, it, it just calls into question what is, and, and what is good an, and what if, is bad. If you were in a society where someone valued that above the, the act of mercy that you did do, mm-hmm. what would that do to your sense of morality and ethics oh, yeah. after that? Especially if you're one of the richest, most powerful men you know by proxy in in the whole kingdom so
1: yeah and that scene really changes jamie in my eyes because before that i just saw him as a spoiled brat yes essentially
0: right um so uh let's uh i'm trying to think if there's anything i've missed um we'll get a little on bit on my the...
1: fandom or no, on I season think... four that we want to talk about well obviously we
0: got i i feel like we haven't even gotten a season yeah four. me too so let's okay. do that um First thing I wanted to talk about, and this might not be interesting to you, but I just wanted to see because you are a show only person. Mm-hmm. Um, when George R. R. Martin first optioned the series, uh, *Dance of Dragons*, hadn't been released. It got released, I believe, somewhere in the second season. Um, but it was reasonable to conclude that maybe he could finish these series of books, you know, that have been out for almost twenty years now, before the HBO series concluded. Yeah, um, the Double D's um have come out and said that they're not sure their 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 plan is for this to be seven seasons or eight at the most which mm-hmm. means they're going to take basically we know that they're going to bring some of the feast for crows into this season and that they plan on doing all the feast and dra- and dances with dragons of next season or next season at the at the most uh and they plan to do the other books as a one season shot similar to how they did the first two that means we've got seven at most eight seasons George R. R. Martin was widely held to have finished the Winds of Winter by last year or this year at the latest. He's saying the same thing now that it's like, well, maybe two thousand fifteen. That means there's pretty much no shot that he can finish the series <laughs> before the eight or finish the book before the HBO series finishes. Hmm. And that has a lot of fans kinda of up in arms. I think it has George R I think it has George Martin up in arms. What are your thoughts on that? Would you – because George, I think, over-optimistically has suggested, well, maybe they shut down production. We spend a couple years doing some prequels, doing some Robert's Rebellion. I think that is egg. pie in the sky, George. I, I'm all for that as a book <laughs> fan, but I think what do you do? Do you do you recast Maisie Williams? I, do I
1: you, don't know what you would do in that scenario, you, given you, there are kids in the show, given – Yeah. Like, fan interest is going to – take a nosedive and i'm sure hbo would not stand for that if they
0: took two seasons off and just did something else um he has apparently revealed enough to uh these guys the producers to uh benioff and weiss to to make all of it Mm -hmm. Uh, he's he's he took him out there to his ranch and he like gave him a crash course on how this is all going to end which makes me think, like, why don't you just fucking write the books, George, <laughs> instead of doing the Westeros cookbook and the Westeros anthology and the next chapter of Dunkin' Egg? And it's like, why don't you just fucking write the books, man? Um, I, I'm with you. I don't think in any way that's going to happen. Another possibility is that you get, like, halfway through the last book, and then they do, like, some epic maybe one or two movie deal to end it.
1: Hm. Okay.
0: I still don't see HBO, the the home broadcasting off. I, I don't see them being on board to make movies, although they did do it the Sex and the City, so it's not unheard of.
1: Sure, and other series have done that. I mean, Firefly being one I can think of off the top of my head. Um, maybe? Maybe that would work? I, it, I don't know. It depends on the timing, because I don't think they can take a break. I think if they take more than a year's break to the next season or the movies or whatever, that's they're gonna have they're gonna have a hard time selling that to HBO.
0: Does it matter to you as a show watcher if they would leapfrog George and just go right on and, and finish his story for him? Uh a little bit, yeah. I think that's interesting as a show watcher, because as a book fan, I'm very conflicted.
1: Well I, I think that he's done such a great job with the source material that they have found it very easy to adapt that to television. Um, and all they're really doing is adapting it. Uh, they're yeah. not making new things. Right here, um, they do
0: color outside the lines a little bit, but usually in the interest of condensing things and like exactly
1: like Lord of the Rings, the yeah. movies did.
0: And with as many characters as they have, they have to. They literally yeah. cannot bring in every strong Baluus and all these other characters that like they're just, they just they can't. They can't. Sure. Like you have trouble keeping track of the fifty that they got for active <laughs> players. If it was a hundred, fucking forget about it. Yeah. So, so I don't think, I don't think I would be as
1: confident in their ability to create new stuff entirely uh, toward his end. Uh,
0: and then once he does write the books, where does that leave the books and the show? Oh, can you imagine his publisher how pissed they would be? Oh, great, George! I'm <laughs> glad you're writing the fucking adaptation of this series we optioned for you, you yeah. asshole. Yeah, I mean, there's some real financial. Uh, there's some real financial. Um, impacts here for him as an author, oh, let definitely. alone the intellectual property that he and, and and how bad that would sting him to lose the ability to tell his own damn story.
1: Yeah, no, I, I think it would leave the books and the television show in a weird place afterward. Um, and I I may eventually get around to reading the books just because I'd like to see how things were different and like the pieces that are left out and how they adapted it. I just don't know that you want to do that if they're. That much different at the end yeah like they start off halfway through it ends up oh well now the books aren't anywhere near the same as the show and
0: well what i'm worried about is anytime i've read the book first and then i watch a series i tend to with few exceptions i can think of like the master and commander st- story, stories stories mm-hmm. i'm a huge fan of patrick o'brien i named my fucking son after jack aubrey <laughs> okay um but i saw the movie and i'm like this is awesome um but almost every single time where I've read the book first and then seen the adaptation, I've hated the adaptation. Hmm, okay. Godfather is another option. I had the opposite. I watched a movie, and I read the book, and I'm like, Jesus Christ, this guy needs an editor. <laughs> um, but I'm worried that you know it's going to be like that, that's that situation where you're going to get a kind of black-and-white photo of the real thing, and when you go back to read the books afterwards – it's going to, something's going to be lost in translation. It's going to be different, or worse yet, it's going to be exactly the same. Hmm. And I feel like I'm just, because that's one thing I hate to do is read, like, a screenplay. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, of, of a movie I've already seen. That's the reason done I've that.
1: never read the Star Wars novels.
0: I have, <laughs> and that, that's a big problem, because it's like, okay, I'm just reading exactly what I already saw. That would also yeah. suck, too. Super boring. Any other angles that we've missed on that, or we'll move on? I don't think so. All right, so this is a very tricky subject for me. Because I know what's happening. <laughs> okay. But uh so I'm gonna be basically propounding you with questions and see what you have to say. Uh you're what right. are things you're looking forward to in season four? There's a shitload of things I could say, but my god, they'd just be massive spoilers.
1: Yeah, yeah, don't see that. Um the thing that I am most looking forward to is Daenerys's uh is that how you say her name? Daenerys? Sure. Okay. Danny. Uh Danny's continuing quest to take the iron throne back um and also it seems her new quest to free slaves like she is now just on a quest to free a whole bunch of slaves and i think that is probably the most interesting thing especially when you combine it with awesome fucking dragons
0: and from the previews we've seen uh-huh. by the way we expect you have seen all the trailers so far and okay. if you consider trailers stuff spoilers just go ahead and switch off the podcast now you're gonna have a bad time <laughs> Um, the dragons look fucking immense. They're getting bigger, yeah. Like, horse-sized? Maybe bigger than horse-sized?
1: Yeah, they were at least as big as her, right?
0: Well, I'm thinking the one image that Uh, they have, like, um, you know, Drogon, which is the big black one, Hmm. um, coming, you know, kind of, like, winging out of what looks like a pit, and there's a, there's a, a, a figure, a human figure, and he just looks like, um, I, 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 like... His wingspan to be forty foot, I would guess. That's big. Like big enough That's to start winning wars for you. If that thing is strafing, yeah. you know you got no aerial support. It's uh-huh. basically like having an F sixteen ground attack version against, you know, the Roman legions. Sure. You don't need many of them to fuck shit up.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's the thing. Like when they're when they're very small, just hatched out of the eggs, you don't really see how they could be a threat. But as they start to grow, uh, and you know these things are just going to get massive. Yeah, I don't know how you deal with that. Yeah, like and Valerion, it's been...
0: the Dread, the biggest one that they've uh, said that he could swallow a mammoth hole. Wow. Like, that's a huge fucking beast. <laughs> yeah, it's huge. Melted a castle down. Like, That's it single-handedly destroyed the largest castle in Westeros, roasted the people alive. Yeah. That's the potential these things have.
1: I mean, that changes the, the whole game. Uh, and I've really enjoyed that story getting up to where she is now. I mean, her journey from... You know, being completely subservient to her brother, mm-hmm. to now being the, this really formidable opponent for you know the the King's Landing forces, I think that's super interesting, and I'm I'm more excited about that than anything else.
0: It's amazing how much I hated her character in the beginning. Oh yeah, because um, I remember I didn't know how young she's supposed to be and all that, but she just seemed like this doe eyed, mm-hmm. cowed character, um, completely at the mercy of her asshole brother. Um, and then she's, you know, she morphs from that to the Dracarys, the conquering queen, the mother of dragons. It's been an amazing transformation, love her character. Um, what about Jon Snow?
1: You know, I don't really like Jon Snow. You don't? I don't like Jon Snow very much. Okay, is explain. that controversial? I don't. I love Jon Snow. He just doesn't seem to be doing anything interesting at all. I mean, he went a, he went north of the wall. He got separated from his people. He fell in with some the band of brothers, wilding. He was ordered setup.
0: to infiltrate them.
1: Okay, sure. Now, now, what's the point of all that? Maybe I'm just missing something here that I'm supposed to know. But what is the point of infiltrating this group and then being right back where he started at the end of this thing?
0: Uh, I think he was supposed to learn more about what they were trying to do. Okay. Um, so the question is, you know, you got Mance Radar saying, who's the king beyond the wall, mm-hmm. saying, I'm going to light the biggest fire the North has ever seen. <laughs> and he's got this massive 20 plus thousand wildling army versus a few hundred black brothers with giants, pretty sweet with giants, which are fucking amazing. Yep. And they're going to be riding mammoths and I'm getting a game. <laughs> I'm getting an uncontrollable game of Thrones, game of throner, a raging game <laughs> of throner thinking about it. <laughs> Um, you know, what can Jon Snow do? That'll be very interesting. Sure,
1: but what has he done so far? Not much. I'm just not very interested in his character.
0: He, uh, introduced egret uh, to Lord's Kiss.
1: <laughs> okay. I think I know what you're talking about. In the cave? <laughs> yeah, sure. in the cave. All right. <laughs>
0: um, let's talk about something that I can talk about that I'm very excited about, and that's right. Gregor Clegane. In the oh, first yeah. season, he was played by Conan Stevens. Good solid name. Good solid name for yeah. an almost seven foot tall Hulk of a man. You for know, sure. calling for sword and single handedly <laughs> beheading a horse uh-huh. in a single swing. That dude, you know, he's called in the books the mountain that rides. Okay. That looks like a mountain that rides. And his brother, who is no slouch himself, I don't know if you know this, but he's like 6'5". Six, six, oh, he is. I never knew he was supposed to be big. In the first season, because I hadn't I could read tell the books. standing next to a lot of the other
1: people. I guess that's big, true, but, but he's
0: standing next to Joffrey. And but standing to next her, to the
1: mountain, he's he looks nothing. like an average-sized
0: person. Yeah. Season two. So there's some shit that went on. Like I've heard conflicting reports. Like Conan Stevens was cast in The Hobbit, and I heard it was a filming conflict. But I also heard that he was kind of maybe an asshole on set, and hmm. who knows. But for whatever reason, they recast him in season two. And three, to be Ian White, who played the White Walkers anytime they were on scene. He's a very tall huh. man. Okay. Um, and he, ha- and he had a nice, deep voice, but I referred to him last season as the bean beanpole that rides. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Because he just couldn't f- – and and what, I, what was amazing to me is, like, it seems like a guy like that, you could put in some fucking armor. Mm-hmm. I mean, if they can make – uh, if if they can make Michael Keaton look like he's got some muscles as Batman, you'd think they could <laughs> stuff a seven foot tall dude into some plate armor and make him look like a solid dude. Yeah. They decided they didn't need to. Hmm. Uh, this season, he has been recast by gay, by a professional strongman. Literally, that's what he does. He awesome. competes in the strongman competition. He's a Norwegian badass by the name of, uh, I don't know, I'm going to butcher his name. By the way, it's another feature of this cast. We butcher <laughs> names. I can't pronounce shit. I can't pronounce Anglo names, let alone these made-up ones. And I
1: forget them all, so.
0: His name is uh, uh Bjornsson. Okay. And he's supposedly like six foot nine, three 390 pounds. Perfect. His lo- They got a picture of him standing next to Lena Headey, who plays Cersei, and his fucking longsword is bigger than her. <laughs> this guy is as much of a mountain of rides that you ever ever want to see and i'm so excited to see uh him do anything
1: yeah and he's got the awesome name too right how for is a fucking
0: good name. it literally means i believe in the language thor oh perfect like he's, <laughs> okay. he's named after the god of thunder and lightning here um sure. anything else you want to say because i've got one other thing um there's one part of, we, we've been to every part of Westeros, pretty much. We've been to the North, we've been to the Riverlands, we've been uh, at least introduced to the uh, Wardens of the West, the Lannisters, we know the Wardens of the East, the Aryans that live up in the mountain. We've met the Tyrells, which live in kind of like the, uh, the breadbasket of Westeros to produce all the food, most populous. Uh, we've been introduced to the Stormlands, that's where the Baratheons come from. Um, but we haven't seen the the southernmost portion of Westeros, which is Dorne. You've heard mm-hmm. about uh, Dornish wine, you've heard about Dornish women, but we haven't met very many Dorns. Sure. This year we're going to be lead, we're going to int- be introduced to the Dornishmen, uh, led by House Martell. Uh, their symbol is the sun spear, which is literally a sun with a spear going through it. Their words are unbent, unbowed, unbroken, um, and they are kind of like the Florida. Of Westeros. They live on this little peninsula.
1: They're all retired and old?
0: What? <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I think they're modeled after, like, Spain. Okay. Um, it's kind of a mountainous, uh, it's the hottest area of Westeros. It, winter probably doesn't really touch it very much. Uh, it's got the only desert in Westeros. Uh, it's sparsely populated, but the people are hardy. In fact, you, you've heard about Aegon the Conqueror. He's the one that actually, it used to be Seven Kingdoms. And he's the one that brought his dragons overboard. He made the Iron Throne by melting down all of his enemies' swords. And he conquered the whole damn thing. And he's what started King's Landing and everything being reunited under one guy. Never conquer Dorne. Hmm.
1: Okay. Because
0: Dorne's like, we're not going to put our guys... We're not going to square up into a big field and have your dragons roast us alive. And we're going to bend the knee. We're going to flee to the mountains. And we're going to fucking be terrorists. And we're going to plague your ass and you'll never ever conquer us. They're the Af- hmm. they're the Afghani's of Westeros. And for like 150 200 years they remained an independent province until Baylor the Blessed actually who built the Great Sept of Baelor and he's kind of like uh he he kind of I guess is the Constantine of Westeros. He um kind of went kinder gentler he adopted the majority religion. Uh, he made peace through marriage alliances and brought them under. But you notice, mm-hmm. like you know, Ed, uh, Ned is Lord Stark. You got uh, you've got all these Lord, you know, the the Lord of the River Runs. You got all these lords going around. Um, the people from Dorne still call themselves Prince and Princesses because they've got that hmm. history of we are we never got conquered. Yeah, okay. all y'all did, but we we are the ones that remain independent. Um, and a historical tidbit. You know about the Mad King, right? Sure. I've heard of him. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, you know, we talked about Jamie, how he killed him, and how um, Grandmaster Maester Pycelle uh, told the Mad King to open the gates to Tywin Lannister, that he's always been a friend of, of, of the crown, and Tywin backstabbed him. Mm-hmm. Well, his henchman uh, killed the wife of the prince, who is Rhaegar. We've heard him mention a lot, too. He's Daenerys' sister, or brother, Um, we find out that uh, one of the atrocities the Lannisters committed is they slaughtered the entire royal family. They took that princess. uh, Hmm. They took took the small girl, uh, Rhaenerys, and drug her out of her bed screaming and killed her. Gregor Clegane took Aegon, his baby boy, smashed his head against the wall, and then raped the princess to death, covered in the baby's brains and blood. It's an atrocity.
1: This this isn't spoiler territory. This is not
0: spoiler. This is all stuff that's been discussed on the show. Okay. Um, Do you know the princess was a Dornish woman?
1: No, I did not know that.
0: And uh, these people we have not met yet, uh, we're going to meet, and it's possible, possible that They might still have sore feelings. About I was going to say harsh treatment that they, they 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 undertook. That's
1: not an unreasonable expectation, I think. Um, from the previews I've seen, it's some of the Lannisters going down to Dorne to talk to them, right?
0: I'm I'm mildly interested. Like Tyrion, in what you have to say. Tyrion
1: is down there. I think certainly. You think? Uh, I, I'm I'm fairly sure that Tyrion and Sansa I saw down there talking to them. Maybe okay.
0: maybe I miss. Uh, Read that. I don't know what a spoiler is and what's not, so I'm just very mild. I'm I'm mildly interested in what you had to say. Okay. Well,
1: I just think, yeah, that there's a lot of potential for some sparks there. Mm.
0: Um, But the uh, um, the Prince Oberon is one of the all-time badasses of Westeros, and I think he's been very uh, impeccably cast. He looks very cool. I'm a little concerned because they've recast Dario. Uh, Naharis, which is kind of, uh, was the lieutenant of the second sons that massacred the captains or mm-hmm. beheaded them and, and turned the army over to Daenerys last season. Yeah. Um, for good cause I never liked that guy anyway and not because of book fans. Cause in the books he's described as having like a fucking blue forked beard and gold teeth. And he looks like something like, like a reject at Car- a Pirates of the Car- Caribbean, hmm. really cool in the books. But on film, I just, it's like one of those things where I just don't know that it comes across. Uh, They've recast him, and I think he looks a lot like who they um, uh, cast as Prince Oberon, just from what I can see in the trailers, and I'm worried that people are going to get a little confused. Hmm. And when I say people, I'm looking hard at you, Jim. Sure, I might. All right. So (laughs) they're good-looking, roughly Mediterranean, swaggery badasses, and I can see the Hmm. the potential for people to get confused. But that's what we're here for.
1: It doesn't sound like they're likely to cross paths, but...
0: The the one thing that'll help you is that like if you see him with Daenerys, exactly. he's the one dude, and if he's not with Daenerys, he's the yeah. other dude. There there's literal ocean is separating them. And those are their names in my mind now: the one dude and the other dude. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Um, anyway, I hope he makes a, a really a big impression. Anything else to talk about? Because we got some feedback, and we still have the spoiler section. No, we can do feedback. All right, uh, Levi R says, "R.I.P. the Night's Watch." I'm hoping this is all an April Fool's prank because I'm not ready to say goodbye to Mad Brew just yet. If it isn't true, then I wish him all the success and happiness he can muster. I'll miss his input and personality in the podcast. Can't wait for the new season. I love your new logo. Well, thanks. That's all. The logo's all you, Jim. Yeah, that's my handiwork. work. Um, it's funny because we did announce this on April 1. And we had also had lunch, and we're like, you know what would be funny is if we had a... If we started making outrageous April Fool's announcements that happened to be true, mm-hmm. and then like five years from now, we did like the epics, most epic April Fool's announcement, and people just assumed <laughs> that we were not lying. And then the, the joke is we we're lying, and we really, really laughed hard, and we're like, we're total assholes. That would not be fun for anyone. <laughs> we can never do that. But that's just kind of giving you an idea of who Jim and I are. Um, we accidentally did it. Yep. we said, we're switching hosts and switching names and all this stuff on April 1st. And it three people, but no, sadly it's true. Uh, I wish him to all the success and happiness he's doing, uh, you know, very well in his career, uh, and, uh, doing very well in his personal life. Just went to his daughter's birthday, uh, last month and, uh, he's doing really great. So, um, Anyway, we'll just move on. Uh, We'll miss him too. Um, And Again, we're still friends. Maybe uh, he'll come back in some capacity at a later date. Uh, So we'll we'll never know. We'll see what happens. Uh, Cody says, I was lucky enough to get to see the premiere of the show last week in Denver. I know that this actually happened. They had a a limited, uh, I think at the University of Denver or University of Colorado or whatever. Everyone was totally high, obviously, watching it. (laughs) Uh, Don't know about Cody. Don't want to slander him. Uh, but he wanted to comment on a few things. First, it's great, in my opinion. On the Mad Brew scale, Mad Brew rates tough. You all, you all know that. He would give it an 8, which is high praise. They're sweeping back in on the results of last season. It's clear how much the Red Wedding altered the face of Westeros. Mm-hmm. Also, you can really see how they upped the budget and production values. I don't know if you've gone back to Season 1, but the difference is huge and impressive. I'm not going to go into spoilers, but I'd like to know which house you're rooting for at this point into this going into the season. Jim, I'll let you answer that last question.
1: Oh, man. I was so rooting for the Starks before. Now it's tough to root for them because they basically don't exist. (laughs) Uh, There's Arya who I'm still rooting for, but, yeah. Targaryen, probably. Yeah. I mean, I'm a big fan of Daenerys' Path, and and I'm looking forward to seeing more of that.
0: Right on. Um, As far as the budget, it's funny because I've always considered the show to look fucking amazing. Me too, yeah. There's a few times they've cheaped out. Uh, one thing the Double D said is that they actually took budget from last season and saved it so they could do uh, this season. Because one thing hmm. I've heard, and I was lucky enough, and we'll probably talk about this later, I was lucky enough to get to interview uh, Gwendolyn Christie uh, for the Walker Stalker Con Chicago. And one thing I asked her is, like, you know, one thing we've kind to appreciate as fans is the tension and kind of, like, epicness kind of scales up till episode nine, and you have this big crescendo. It's... It's it's you know ba- it's um, it's Baylor where Ned gets beheaded or it's the black uh, uh, Blackwater yeah uh, where King's Landing gets favorite invaded and the too. wildfire comes out you got the red wedding it's just some crazy ass thing and then the last episode's kind of prologue or epilogue and she says the one thing different is that this season is just bam 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 bam, bam action twists. Hmm. crazy reversals happening on an episode by episode basis. It's like ramps up to, to a high level and stays there through the end of the season. So super glad that they saved the budget to make that work. Oh yeah. Super, super excited to see how that goes. Um, so, and I'm glad that uh, we have had, I've had multiple people at this point. I just read James Pony Wozniak's, uh, a take on it. And he says, it's basically the same show. It's just as strong, it might even be better uh alan seppenwall said the same thing all my go-to guys are saying that this is going to be epic i've read this book and i think the second half is at least as good as the first half of last season which i thought was just spectacular so i'm super excited rosie g says uh really looking forward to the new season of game of thrones because i love the books and all things about a song of ice and fire series and i love the podcast they're part of my a song of ice and fire experience and yours is great well thank you My question is, what is the best death in a TV show per date? Uh, uh, Example, Ned's beheading, Robert's death by wine and boar, uh, people at the Red (laughs) Wedding, etc. For me, it's still Viserys being killed by the melting gold. Oh, that was a good one. As a method, it's something unseen before or since, and the timing also showed that in this world, you can never guarantee a lead character making it.
1: That's a good one. The death by pig is a terrible, terrible way to go. That's not it. Mm. Um, I don't know. What do you think?
0: Uh, if she, I feel like I can't save Aesirus because I know, I the second I saw that asshole, I'm like, I hope this guy dies. Yep, and. I'm glad they killed at least because I felt that way about Joffrey and he's still hanging around. Ugh, yeah. But the way that he got killed with the gold on his head and the and the they went for broke on the effects and his head slamming and clanking, it was yep. just horrific in the best possible way.
1: Another guy who I really wanted to get it and I'm glad he did is Craster.
0: Oh like, yeah,
1: Craster was a bastard.
0: I gotta say, in in, in going with that. Um, Uh, The old bear, the Lord Commander of the Night's Watch. Hmm. Um, Shoot, I can't think of his first name, Mormont. Um, We talked about that, me and Mad Brew last year, is how I loved his death because this fucker stabbed him, and he turned around, and I grabbed him and was on his way to crushing his throat, even as he was mortally (laughs) wounded, until his body just like, nope, you got stabbed in the gut, you can't quite do it. That was a very memorable death as well.
1: Oh, yeah. No, it's got to be the Gold Helmet. That was And Shadow the way Baby. they led up to it. Shadow Baby? Not for me. Not for you? Yeah, Shadow Baby, so I don't need any part of that. <laughs>
0: uh, I, I got to say probably the shockingest one was Ned because yeah. I did not see that coming. And I hadn't read the books, and I hadn't really even paid attention to the rep the series had. Mm-hmm. So I was watching that whole season. First of all, I thought that Ned, you know, the whole twist was Ned betrayed his honor. And there's somehow, you know, he's going to take the black and, or they're going to, something's going to happen in the rebellion in the North and father and son. And, you know, or it's going to be a Robin Hood scenario where someone swoops in and saves him. But up until he (laughs) actually happened, I was like, fuck, they killed the main character of the show. Yep. So it's hard to, it's hard to, you know, and, and I, Rob probably would be right up there too because but I knew mm. it was coming, so yeah, yeah, that was a problem for me too. Um. I mean, I stopped reading the books for weeks after the red wedding. I just mm. put them down and like I just I fucked this bullshit. I can't stand it. Um, <laughs> I didn't have that experience with Ned. I was just like shocked and amazed, so it's like maybe if I'd experienced that for, you know the proper way, that would be the most affecting one.
1: Yeah, maybe. I felt like his death would have been more affecting if it had not been spoiled. But the the more affecting thing for me, the, the the kind of real atrocity there was when they put the wolf's head on him uh, and and marched him out the gates. Yeah, that was fucked up. I couldn't believe they did that, and the way they did it was so. And that was not even that episode. That was the next episode.
0: Right. But yeah, that was that was pretty brutal. It's a really cool image on the internet of someone going for broke with the illustration of rob's body with uh, gray wind's head sewn on him sitting up on a throne with his iron crown on it and he's got his his sword across his his lap which is the traditional way the starks would greet mm-hmm. um a person in their house which they're granting hospitality but letting them know we fucking hate you <laughs> like if you have your naked steel sitting on your lap that's like fuck off and it says like the north remembers above it and i'm like Wow. Gives you chills when you you see that. Yeah. Uh, Ramsey Gregor Cockington. Uh, There's a lot to not like about that name. Uh, But he (laughs) wanted to send in a recap of where we're at before to give us a little topics of discussion. Okay. Um, He broke it down by region. He said, in North, we got the question about the status of the White Walkers. That's something I kind of think is funny because... They're not even shown in some of the trailers, but, like, in the last trailer, two-minute trailer they released, (laughs) it's, like, there's this last, like, ten-second stinger where they just show one on horseback, which I think is from even season two. Like, hey, guys, don't forget, we're still up here fucking shit up, probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like, the rest of Westeros, no one gives a crap. What do you think is going on with the White Walkers?
1: They're just really fucking slow. Winter (laughs) takes a long time to get here, but when it does, it's hellacious.
0: It's going to be like once it finally comes, it's going to be Peter North style, just <laughs> oh, ski all over Westeros. <laughs> sure. Um, also, this is the annual White Walkers versus Whites. White Walkers are the guys that look like their face is made out of assembled out of dried out buttholes. Okay. They're the sure. mystical frost giant type thing. The one that
1: Sam killed with a dragon glass.
0: Yes. Whites are like an old English term for a reanimated corpse. They're the, hmm. uh, like, zombies. that are skeletonized, and they have the bright blue eyes, although the White Walkers do too. So White Walkers are like the necromancers, and the Whites are the target of their necromancy. Th- that's Be- the, that the one that, that tried to kill people. Bran in his bed, right? Uh, no, that was just a plain old assassin. But it was? He had, he had eyes. Remember... Uh- Callan had to, like... Yeah, yeah. He might have eyes, but they weren't bright blue glowing mm. mystical eyes. All right, I thought they he, were. They tried to kill the Lord Commander. And, and uh, Jon so- uh, Snow-, uh, Snow saved him with uh, his Yeah, that's self right. And set him and on fire. And set him on fire. Okay. Yep. Uh, and when we've seen huge armies of them as well. Yeah. Uh, one tried to gank Sam at the start of Season 3, in fact. Mm. Um... Mance Raider has united all the wilding tribes so they can go form one huge ass army and march on the wall. But will they make it past the wall? What do you think? What, what do you think the uh, fire, as big as the North has ever seen, is going to look like, Jim?
1: <laughs> is he trying to melt the wall? Is that what's going on there? I mean, it seems like a pretty sturdy wall.
0: Yeah. Uh, a lot of ice in that wall. It does seem like it would take a lot of fire to melt that wall. I, th- I don't think it would
1: be interesting for them to get to the wall and not be able to get past it. So <laughs> I'm going to guess, yes, they will get beyond
0: the wall. All right. Uh, The one person trying to go north of the wall is Bran. Bran has some special powers, uh, notably warging and other beings. Bran can harness his powers by going north of the wall where the magical elements are supposedly much stronger. What can Bran truly do? (laughs) What's one little boy who can warg going to do? I mean, that's one of the fascinating things of the story. What is Sansa going to do? What is Arya going to do? What is Bran going to do? They're children, for fuck's sake. Sure, I,
1: I agree with that. It's like... I, I can't see Arya being a major player. I mean, she in definitely has ass kicking potential, but she's sure. just
0: one person.
1: With Bran, it's a little different because, you know, if he gets good enough, potentially he could get into Tywin's head. Potentially he could get into Joffrey's head, uh, mm. and start really wreaking havoc if he if he got that good and and was so inclined.
0: That's mildly interesting. Uh, the Wall, on the other hand, uh, continuing with Ramsay Gregor Cockington, email is a mess. Hundreds of the Night's Watch were killed in the final episode of Season 2 when the White Walkers attacked the Fists of the First Men. In Season 3, the few remaining Night's Watch rangers had a civil war at Craster's Keep and the (laughs) Lord Commander was murdered. The only good thing is that Jon has made it back to the Wall so hopefully he can organize some shit. If not, the entire world is fucked. Your thoughts? Well, it seems like the Night's
1: Watch is very, very small now. It was small and dwindling before. Right. Now it's much more so. I don't know what the Night's Watch can really do. Like, Tywin's got a castle and a shitload of troops. And I, I say Tywin because dude, who gives a fuck about Joffrey? He's a puppet king. Uh, but what can they do? What can they do?
0: They're they a small any-
1: band of raiders at this point.
0: They can't do anything yeah. south of the Wall. And that's by design. Sure. Like, Castle Black famously has no walls except for the Wall. mm mm-hmm. And it's by design. So if uh, ever a Nights Watch commander got uppity, this, the the guys from the South can just right up on there and smash them. Okay. They've got no defenses. Uh, what can they do? Stuff in North of the Wall? That's a good With question. Mance. They still have a seven hundred foot wall <laughs> of made of ice. Mm-hmm. Um. So. So
1: they're going to try to defend against the White Walkers in this winter that's coming.
0: Are they? No. <laughs> You're asking me like I know, Jim. Yes, I'm asking you
1: questions <laughs> that uh, I can't expect answers to. That's unfortunate.
0: Um, let's see. Winterfell. <laughs> sometimes you have good luck, sometimes bad luck, and sometimes Stark luck when you wish you just had bad luck. Winterfell was home to the Warden of the North, Stark fa- the Stark family. After the Red Wedding, the Boltons were named the new Warden of the North. We've already seen Roos, the Lannisters send their regards, and Ramsay sausage in action. <laughs> Not exactly the Starks. Yeah, North is just torn up from the floor up, man, at mm-hmm. this point. They've fought, they've really taken the worst beating. Yeah, uh, and I wonder
1: if that's going to start creeping into, like, further south, into the mainlands.
0: Well, I mean, you already got the Riverlanders that have thrown themselves in with uh, the King of the North. Are they going to, you know, what's going to happen with the Blackfish and Brendan and all those guys? I don't know. In the middle, speaking of which, the Warden of the Riverlands used to be Catelyn Stark's brother, Edmure, the dipshit who got married. I would go with the dipshit who missed his father's boat with a flaming arrow three times. <laughs> but after the Red Wedding, the phrase became the new Wardens. Um, anything to comment on that? This is just a recap of mm-hmm. where we're at. The Ironborn declared themselves as an independent kingdom. That is uh, Theon's kin. Um, the Greyjoys. We'll see how long that lasts. Also, in the last uh, episode of season three, we see Yara, who's Theon's sister, sailing to the Dreadfort, which is the castle of the Boltons, to save Theon. Uh, any interest in where that plot line's going?
1: Sure. Yeah. Um, we know that she's kind of always been the tougher of the two kids, right? Ever since Theon went to be with via Dan Starks, site. and yeah. Um, so I- I'm really interested in her story. I think she's going to do some interesting
0: things. Um. Are you interested in Theon? Because that's something that Madburn and I debated. Like, is was Theon's story last year interesting? It was just... Un- I think
1: it was when he first started. I think once he got captured, it became very uninteresting to me. Yeah. It was just torture scene after torture scene. Right. V- very unimportant to the story at large, as far as I could tell.
0: That's one of the big critiques I have of season three. I thought that... I don't know how much of that we needed to see. His and, idea of trying to prove scream-ish. himself was awesome. I yeah. loved that part of it.
1: Yeah. Once he took... Uh, Winter fell and then got captured. Not oh, that
0: scene of him in the inky black room writing to Rob to tell him, you know, to warn him and then deciding to burn it uh, for family loyalty is, is is iconic and great. Yeah. Um, and I like his arc. I just thought maybe we could have spent time better spent elsewhere when we were going back and seeing torture after torture and horn blowing and yeah. all that stuff. Um, meanwhile, oh, rather... In season one, we saw Liza Arryn, who's Cat's sister, and her breastfeeding her eight-year-old son, Robin. I assume hmm. you remember.
1: I do. That was one of the creepier scenes uh, in this whole show.
0: <laughs> if you'll recall, at the end of last season, Littlefinger was sent up to the Vale to marry Lysa. Littlefinger may just be the most dangerous man in Westeros. Any thoughts on that? I
1: firmly believe he could be one of the most dangerous men in Westeros. He's, He's like,
0: certainly one of the smartest. He likes climbing that ladder called Chaos. He does. Uh, meanwhile, the character no one cares about, Stannis, is lounging on Dragonstone. Technically, he is the rightful heir to the Iron Throne, but he has been defeated in battle, so how will he come back? What do you think, Jim? Sorry, who was that? Stannis. Stannis. Oh, I'm very, very uninterested in that storyline. Because it's all mis- Melisandre and Shadow Babies. Completely uninterested, yeah. She's like a Jedi general that you don't even know how it works. I, I
1: do kind of like the twist where um, Davos, I think is his name. Yep. Um she was trying to get him killed, and then at the end he said, hey, the, the White Walkers are coming. And she kind of changed her mind on the, all that. I'm kind of back on board with it now, because I think it's interesting to see the, the twist there where Davos is now a pawn for her. Mm. Um, well, and now she, part... she
0: sees him as an ally, I guess. Exactly, yeah. Common, He's part of her forces, and
1: yeah, that part is interesting to me.
0: Uh Arya and the Hound are continuing their buddy com- comedy. The Hound is trying to find <laughs> someone he can sell Arya to and is headed to the East into Lysa Aaron. What will happen? Jim. Um, hmm, could he start working for Baelish? Is that what happens? That's mildly interesting.
1: If they meet up. I think it's going to be interesting when Arya and Baelish get together if that happens. Uh, that would be super interesting to me. It's mildly interesting. Cuz he he would certainly try to use her as a pawn, I think, in this whole game. All mildly interesting to me, Jimmy. Like. <laughs> um, is that all this podcast is going to be? You just saying mildly interesting?
0: Well, it's fun for the book fans because they're I laughing know. along with me, and it's fun for the show fans because they don't know. Because a lot of people think they have me pegged. Okay. My poker face is phenomenal. Have you pegged? In what way? Like, they they had elaborate theories about when I'd say mildly interesting or they're like different inflections. Oh, that they could say whether Madbrook God. was a little too close to the mark. No, okay. fuck that. Yeah. I pride myself in my poker <laughs> face and poker voice. So keep, keep, uh, keep looking for those, uh, those patterns, people, uh, in the South, after the red wedding, Lannisters are firmly in control. Every part of the kingdom is seemingly alliance, uh, allied with them. Can the Lannisters maintain their power?
1: It's going to be tough once Daenerys gets there with dragons, which I firmly believe is going to happen at some point. Because why else do it? Mildly interesting, <laughs> um, man. but I don't. I don't think they have any competition left in the mainlands of Westeros. All right, I think it's all coming from Daenerys at this point.
0: Uh, Joffrey is wedding the uh Marjorie, uh, uh, which will. I'll, I'll further mm. ally them with the Tyrells. The Tyrells are the second most powerful family in Westeros. Will they remain happy with their position?
1: Happy with their position. Number two. Yeah, I don't think Are they going to be the Riker so. of Westeros, or are they going to want more? <laughs> I think they want to be the Picard, because <laughs> Cersei... I recall a speech that Cersei gave, maybe to Tyrion, about people not being satisfied mm. with that, that second place. So if that were to play out on a grander scale i think we may see some power struggles between those two
0: one thing i thought was interesting i read an article by matthew Iglesius, who used to be a, a writer for uh, slate i don't know i, I know each switched hmm. uh, but he did an economic out analysis because everyone says lelanis well, is the wealthiest house of you know because all their gold. on paper sure uh, and the tyrells are second but hmm. they have the largest army and by far the most food production capacity gotcha what happens when winter comes?
1: <laughs> when stores of food make more of a difference gold? than yeah than golden helmets? Uh,
0: this isn't a spoiler, by the way, because math Matt hasn't read the books. I saw it's a very interesting article. Sure,
1: that's an interesting question too. Uh,
0: that the winter coming after an unusually long summer, and we know according to old Dan's tales in the season one that an unusually long summer usually is followed by an unusually long cold winter. Mm-hmm. You think about like what would happen? Um, you know, interestingly too we had like one of the worst winters in North America of of living memory <laughs> Yeah, it the makes polar think, vortex. Yeah, it makes me think it's like maybe Westeros just has an unusually strong northern uh, polar vortex <laughs> that like, you know, every couple <laughs> of years swoops down and plunges the whole thing into tundra and then yeah, and sets it's, off some white cause, walkers. Cuz people are like people are like looking and it's like, "Oh, you know, how can how can the solar system of Westeros look, you know, and do all this stuff and why is <laughs> it happening?" Like, shit, it just we just saw it happen on our own planet. I mean, to a small yeah. extent, but
1: Well, the idea that food may become more important than wealth could even shift the the focus of the war from you know, King's Landing and the Lannisters to uh, whatever region you're talking about. Tyrell's with a b- bunch of food? Sure. That might be interesting because they no longer want King's Landing. It's not important.
0: Right. Uh, all mildly interesting, Jim. Got one <laughs> final email, and I'll tell you to get the fuck out of here. Um, this is from AGA because she didn't want me using her real name. Uh, but she had uh, – we closed last season on this epic social experiment, that Madbury pulled, mm-hmm. uh, where we talked about white privilege and the effect of white savior complex versus the brown people and uh, what kind of social and, and racial implications there were here. Uh, she says, can I just say what I feel for a minute here? I want to call – Bullshit on Mad Brew's social experiment. If that was just a social experiment by Mad Brew, then so were the rants by the good old Mel Gibson. Of course I don't mean to the same extreme, but there's no way that shit that came flying out of Mad Brew's mouth was thought through. I don't care if you think Daenerys' is crowd surfing over the sea of brown people wasn't racist, that's your opinion, and so long as you back it up, I respect it. But when you continued by saying if we were insulted by the depiction it was because we were looking to be offended, as if we needed yet another reason. I know you guys have no idea what kind of demographic listens, but let me cue you in on my end. I am a 20-year-old history student that happens to be brown and a fucking girl to boot. I do not find the episode nearly as offensive as Mad Brew's comments, but still, you did apologize and did your research to atone up for it, so thanks for that. I guess I got a little worked up because I hear the same comments from my three roommates on a campus of 90% privileged white kids and could take, couldn't take could take hearing it from you too. Well, AGA... Um, I don't know if you can trust me, but I've got no reason to lie. Um, And I think if you go back and listen to the podcast, when Mad Brew said that, I was thrown. Because it's not like Mad Brew has ever said crazy shit on the podcast. I have to edit our podcast a lot. (laughs) Especially in the first seasons. Like, if a fan would disagree with him, his first response is like, well, fuck them. They're stupid. And I'm like, okay. Mental note to delete this out of podcast. You can't tell that to fans. Um, interestingly enough, Matt. so Mad Brew and I have worked together. Um, I, when, when we stopped working together, I gave him a very positive, a glowing reference to the next guy that called. And he asked me, what is Mad Brew's, what's a mad, what's a weakness of Mad Brew? And I instantly came back with, he does not suffer fools gladly. And his first impulse, anytime someone challenges on something is to just go on to attack. That's his kind of Marine thing. Um, as soon as, and, and you can tell kind of like when he said that, I was like, that's so far beyond an acceptable response to a fan voicing a concern over racial problems with the fantasy thing. I was like, I didn't know what to say. I was like thrown off my game. As soon as we got done, I called him up and was like, well, thanks for fucking making me do yet another round of editing. And he said right then and there, cause he gets all these emails too. And we don't that's one other thing that's shtick that we do at Bald Move is we don't talk about this shit before we go to a podcast. We have what we think and you have what you think, and it's that's kinda kinda why it's a conversation. I was pissed and I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? And he told me about his plan right then and there, and I decided that's kind of cool. It'll be interesting. you know, maybe we'll take it, but it's it it's worth doing a temporary bit of hurt feelings if we can reach a larger point apart because we're I'm actually very surprised uh, at the mix of men, women, different races that listen to our podcast. And we got a lot of positive comments about that little experiment. He did. You're saying that you're not sure if it's genuine. Again, if you can believe what I'm saying, I say it's 100%. It's something he had his sleeve the whole time. And I would say the social justice is something that is kind of a passion point for Mad Brew, which is, you know, weird when you think of, you know, a white guy from the you know shithole backwater of Indiana um, having that kind of viewpoint. But it was an honest thing, and again, I'm sorry that we offended you. Um, I actually wrote a lot of personal responses to people that were outraged, like just, Hey, hold on. We're going to talk about it. Please, please list, please listen to our uh, wrap up cast because I think you'll, you'll be satisfied with it. And we got a lot of positive feedback. Got one or two people that thought we were full of shit, you know, whatever. I, 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 like I said in the podcast, I wasn't really super concerned with changing everyone's mind or opening anybody's eyes. If we opened a couple people's eyes, great because 10 years ago i was the guy who was like what is these why what is this thing about privilege and why are people mad about me having it and there's a bunch of sour grapes and bullshit and everyone's got to start their journey somewhere and some people are never going to get there you know it does it 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 really doesn't matter to me i'm just putting it out there and if people accept it great if not great um I think that that stuff that's talking about real stuff like that, um, it's not our primary purpose on this podcast, but when we get to talk about it, uh, I know me and Jim like to do that. It's one of the reasons why Matt, Mad Men is one of my favorite because it's all up in your face about mm-hmm. gender equality, racial equality, social equality, rich, poor. It's it's like one long commentary on that, and we get to talk about that.
1: It's what these period pieces are good for, right?
0: Right. Like, you know on the one hand ha ha look at how far we've come but on the other hand ha ha look at how far we have to go sure uh so i don't know if that means anything to you or if you believe me or not but again i'm just putting that information out there and that's it for feedback okay Um,
1: sounds good because i'm about to die here. i know you're sick
0: i'm gonna let you get the fuck out of here just real quick okay um i'm sorry about our feed situation because it's kind of up in flux we renamed our feed and did all that stuff to comply with mad Brew's requests and it's fucked us with itunes uh you can always find the latest at baldmove.com and until we get this feed situation i can't guarantee that the itunes feed is going to work or what it's going to be called or if you're going to have to resubscribe hopefully you won't but it's kind of all screwed up now um, if you're using RSS feed, you should be fine because it state oh, everyone's going to have to change feeds.
1: Maybe. We'll see. <clears throat> it just depends go, on
0: whether or not iTunes reinstates the old feed. Go to baldmove.com for the latest. You can always listen to it online there and you can always click to get the latest feed. Um, and also, Facebook.com slash baldmove and Twitter at baldmove. The reason they exist is so we can communicate with you. So if you want to be on the latest, uh, check that out. Um, also, don't forget our affiliates. You know, as always, we've got the personal arrogance guys talking about beard board games and pop culture. We got the girls in the Picasso talking about um, women's issues, sex, relationship, books. We got Tom and Kelly talking about all things England that they do Downton Abbey. They're doing Mr. Selfridge right now for us. They're hilarious. Um, ways to support us, as always, Amazon.ballmove.com. We get a tiny cut of whatever you order. Uh, iTunes, especially when we get our feeds worked out, please give us rating and review to help us grow this thing. And finally, we got a subable. dot uh, com slash bald move s u b b a b l e dot com slash bald move a way you can directly contribute to our production of this uh, podcast material. Um, go on there for the pitch, but basically you can you can subscribe for free, or you can give us a buck or two bucks or $10 one time, or it's a monthly recurring. It helps us uh, uh, pay for me and Jim doing this. And you can bank up every dollar you spend gets converted into a perk buck that you can uh, exchange for valuable rewards and little fan perks. Um, and we're going to be making that bigger and better as the season goes on. Um, one new thing I completely forgot to talk about, Instant Casts. Uh, within an hour of the show airing, we're going to have an instant cast which is just basically 20 or 30 minutes of me and Jim talking about what we felt in the moment. It's a supplement to our full cast that comes out on Tuesday, uh, but it's a new feature we're going to do. Um, if you're familiar with our work on Breaking Good or The Walking Dead, you know what it's all about. But basic is a way for us to get content to you guys and for you guys to just you know think about stuff and, and share how cool something is sooner. Uh, again, find all that stuff on baldmove.com. Uh, That's all I got. We got an epic spoiler section coming your way. But uh, gotta preserve Jim's virgin ears. (laughs) And tell him to GTFO. Do you have any thoughts before we see everybody on Sunday night?
1: I'm super excited for the premiere. And I hope it's as good as season 3 ended. That's about it.
0: Alright, I'll see you guys in the spoiler section beyond the music if you are so inclined. If not, we'll see you Sunday night. As always, I am Aaron. And I'm Jim. The god of tits. And the god of wine. Booyah. For now. For now. Yo, See if you can claim it uh, next week. Uh, talk to you later. All over the realm, ran with cutthroats and pages. And haven't seen the basics in this world with five graces. Patience. Just like I remain nameless. I think I found my calling with a man who stays faceless. Nice to think that my
1: hands will stay stainless. But a girl keeps secrets. Survival game shameless. Tickle is was cool. Armory or ignoramus. I name both. And a man was gracious, a man needs a name, and a man pays his debts, and a man owes free, and a girl has requests, a girl wants to old buy but a man must like so a girl names a man as a man's last best, a girl
0: unnames a man, for some help to get away, if a man does this thing, then a girl must obey, a man gives a girl a point, as a girl decides to say the god of death will have his due, but we say not today, I'll watch not today. it all come around. Okay, welcome to the spoiler section, Jim has left the room, it's just you and me people, it's kind of awkward, kind of different. Uh, something not used to just soloing this thing, but it's the only way to preserve the virgin status of the non book reader. So us book readers and brave show watchers can kind of just talk amongst ourselves. I'm super, super excited to debut my tinfoil hat theory of the week. Uh, this is going to be a classic. It's something that we covered very early on in the night's watch, but we constantly had people wanting uh, to know. If we've talked about it or what we thought about it, what I'm going to do with these tinfoil theories is I'm going to keep a page that like tells what episode we discuss which one's on, because there's tons of them. And that way, if anyone ever asks, like, hey, have you ever talked about R plus L equals J? I can be like, yeah, we did. It was episode blah, 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 uh, So that's what we're going to be talking about this week. R plus L equals J. Uh, I've got an exhaustive audiobook version of that. Hopefully you're into it. Um, but let's get into the spoiler emails. Glenn from Tennessee said, my Mike and I, my friend, Mike and I have come up with the following predictions. Uh, the very first scene of the season will be straight from the book. Tyrion standing with pod as he's watches the red Viper and his crew ride into King's landing. I think we will also throw in a touch of Tyrion quizzing pod on the banner flags. That would be very cool. Very, I think that's a perfect introduction to the character and we get enough from the trailers. I think that that's right on. Um, Joffrey goes down in episode four, plenty of time to build up the Tyrion's hatred uh, for his nephew in order to make Cersei's claims against him seem legit to the non-book reader. I don't even know they have to do that much build up, Glenn, because I just literally watched, I think, episode eight. Maybe it was episode seven before I started this podcast. And Tyrion at, at his wedding to Sansa brought a lot of hate to the table. Uh, you know, slamming a knife in the table and threatening to cut off the royal manhood. There's not much love lost there between that and all the slaps. All the slaps that have gone down in that relationship. Um, the episode will end with Cersei pointing at Tyrion as she holds her dead son in her lap, screaming and sobbing. Can't wait. By the way, I tried to warn you, turn off if you don't want spoilers for this season. It's only going to get worse. Um... Three, Tywin goes down in episode nine. Interesting, interesting. See, I think you. It depends on how they brought feasts, because I've heard they brought a uh, quite a bit of feast into this series chapter or in this series rather. And if if that's the episode nine, then they've either structured where it's all happening kind of in parallel somehow, or. They just haven't brought that much much feast forward. I'm thinking if if Joffrey goes down in four, that Tywin's gonna go down in like seven, eight at the latest. Um, four, Jamie will send Brienne to find Arya instead of Sansa. That's an interesting theory. Um certainly it'd be more productive because that's one of the flaws in a feast, right? That Brienne's going on his quest that we know is literally tilting at windmills. She's never going to find Sansa doing what she's doing. It might be more interesting having her go after Arya. Uh, Five, Asha's storyline is completely changed, uh, which is Yara in the show. She goes to get Theon and takes Moat Kaelin and decides not to return home after the death of her father. I hope that they have her completely skip to King's Moot, which will probably be in Season 5. I don't think we'll have a King's Moot period. I think that's one thing's... That is very Council of Elrondish that they can just kind of, you know, uh, doot-de-doot through and have the result of it. Uh, Yara not being there or not, I, I I don't know. I really don't, since this is so far off the coloring page, uh, so coloring outside the lines, uh, I really don't know where they're going with that. So we'll have to see. But thanks for email. Uh, next one is by Ha-How. I think that's how you pronounce, pronounce your name. I'm sorry if I butchered it. Uh, says, I'm a book reader, but I'm not a purist. Based on what we've been hearing news-wise, the creators plan on seven or eight season series. Also, they'll deviate quite a bit from the books. My main prediction is that Shay belongs to Littlefinger. Ooh. If not from the very beginning, then since very early on, maybe sometime before season two. This would make sense because of how she's been so loyal and worried over Sansa, per Littlefinger's command, and having Tyrion believe she loves him, and using this to ensure Tyrion won't consummate the marriage, etc. It also makes sense if she's going to testify against him during his trial, revealing her true self and ending up in Tywin Lannister's bed. I don't see how it makes sense about her ending up in Tywin, although I guess that's another... In the way Joffrey gave Roz to Joff, Or, I'm sorry, in the way Littlefinger gave Roz to Joffrey in Season 3, maybe he would use her to give her the Tywin to curry favor. As it turns out, Tywin's quite the whoremonger. Um, it's hard for me to say because... I think TV Shay is one of the worst things ever. And it's driving me crazy to see all the interviews with the double D's saying how great they think Shay is and her character and her actress and how she's inspired them to make her part bigger. Um, because I, I just find it very, very tedious anytime she's on, um, with Tyrion. I don't, I don't get their relationship. Um, This does neatly explain her loyalty to Sansa though. Right on for that. Um, Another prediction is that Red Viper survives and perhaps becomes crippled at the end of episode season four. I've been told this would make, wouldn't make sense because of what would happen in future books and how he needs to die. So, uh, so Tyrion is convicted. I'm not so sure as this prediction, but I think many of the characters introduced in book four and five aren't making into the series, specifically Doran Martell and uh, Adrian. I think Adrian's storyline will be changed and giving to Yara somehow. Uh, there's just too many plot points and main characters included after book three. Uh, good point. Uh, I don't know about that, too, because they clearly are going to have the trial of Tyrion. It clearly is going to involve trial by combat between the Viper and the Mountain. We've seen that in the trailers. In fact, there's a lot of people saying that HBO might have given away too much. That we see you know Cersei and Black and what that's going to mean and what the obvious implications of that. Judging by my co-host, he's not not all getting these subtle hints. So I think HBO is fine, but it's hard for me to see how they're going to have to travel combat and him live. Cause that's like kind of to the death. Um, moving on to Tyler S who went and found the synopsis for the first four episodes, like the TV guy style, two or three sentence and all the titles. Episode four, one is two swords. Tyrion welcomes, uh, a guest to King's Landing. At Castle Black, Jon Snow finds himself unwelcome. Danny is pointed to Marine, the mother of all slave cities, and Arya runs into an old friend. Very interesting. Episode 4 2, and he's got analysis here in a minute. The Lions and the Rose. Tyrion lends Jamie a hand. Joffrey and Marjorie host a breakfast. At Dragonstone, Stannis loses patience with Davos. Ramsay finds a purpose for his pet. North of the Wall, Bran sees where they must go. Episode four three Breaker of Chains. Tyrion ponders his options. Tywin extends an olive branch. Sam realizes Castle Black isn't safe, and John proposes a bold plan. The Hound teaches Arya the way things are, and Danny chooses her champion. In Episode four four Oath Keeper, Danny balances justice and mercy. Tyrion asks Tasperian with his honor. John secures volunteers while Bran, Jojen, Mira, and Hodor stumble on shelter. Uh, Tyler says we'll definitely meet, uh, the red Viper in episode one. That's obvious. Uh, the whole old friend Arya meets probably isn't in the books unless she meets Polliver, which means they could go into Feast for Crows with her storyline this season. More likely they're bringing back Hot Pie or something like that. There's speculation that they could even bring back Micah, the butcher's boy, and reveal that the Hound didn't kill him after all. It's also likely that they'll kill Balen Greyjoy this episode. Um... I don't think I actually think it's going to be Poliver um, because that's the scuttlebutt I've heard is that she gets to kill him this season and that they will maybe that's what they'll do. They'll really advance her storyline in the feast and kind of keep everybody else static as a way to kind of compress that. Um, but otherwise yes, certainly we'll meet the Red Viper um, about them killing Bale and Greyjoy. I'm not really sure. Um, obviously it's, it's interesting, you know, Tyrion welcome a guest at King's Landing. Obviously, that's uh, Prince Oberon. Uh, Jon Snow not finding himself a, a unwelcome at Castle Black. You know, Obviously, they think he's a turncloak. Um, moving on, it says, I'm now convinced that the Lion and the Rose will be Joffrey and Marjorie's wedding based on the name of the episode, and the breakfast mentioned directly precedes the wedding. Let me, if you disagree. If not, I'm sure what will happen with Theon unless they get more into Dance of Dragons. It looks like brand storyline will reach the end of the Dance of Dragons this season, which has interesting implications for future seasons. Hmm, Line in the Rose. That I that that's gonna be that's gonna be tough for me. I don't I don't see because if if that's the wedding, then we all know what happens at the end of the wedding, and I can't see that happen that early in the season. That seems like episode four, but there's nothing. I was assumed it was going to be episode four, but there's nothing in in the description that would say that. So, and then what what would Tywin extending an olive branch be? Um, I, to me, that's him offering. Uh, well, I don't know. I really don't know what that could be, because it's got to be him somehow appeasing the, the Martells. We'll have to see. Uh, Tyrion considers his options, has to refer to a choice between trial by combat versus a normal trial. The olive branch Tywin extends has to be to offer to take the black. This episode could also have the Battle of the Castle Black. Who do you think Daniel chooses for champions and strong Belvis isn't in the show? I'm guessing Dario. Um, if you watch their 15-minute HBO trailer, um, which you can find on YouTube or I think HBO On Demand, they show pretty much the scene that happens with Strong Belus uh, where someone's charging him and he sidesteps with a sword and it looks like the guy that they're recasting as Dario, who also looks a lot like Prince Oberon. So that's what I think is going to happen. Uh, Jorah will be banished in Oathkeeper. The wedding has definitely happened by this point since Brienne won't get Oathkeeper until after Sansa has fled. That's true. That is true. So... Yeah, from that take, it's hard to argue with you there, Tyler. I don't. That's that's going to blow people's minds if they if they have uh, Joff's wedding and the aftermath of that happened in the second season. That's fucking putting pedal to the metal. Uh, so thanks for that. Uh, we are now going to introduce the tinfoil theory of the week, which is going to be the L or R plus L equals J theory. Now, this basically means, who is John's true parents? Uh, the R is Rhaegar, L is Lyanna Stark, uh, producing John. He's not the bastard son of Ned and some wench. He's actually royal Targaryen blood. So let's just talk about the facts first, okay? Uh, Rhaegar is the son and heir to the Mad King Aerys II. His wife, uh, Elia Martell, was Princess of Dorne. He had a daughter, Rhaenys, a son, Aegon. Uh, and that uh, Elia uh, had difficult childbirths, with Aegon almost killing her. And the maesters afterwards claimed that she could never have other children. So he's got these two kids with this uh, Princess of Dorne. Uh, Lyanna Stark is the daughter of Ricard Stark, brother to Eddard, who we know as Ned. Uh, his older brother Brandon, and also Bingen Stark, who was the ranger in the first season, who kind of befriended Jon as his uncle, and he was lost. Uh, ranging north of the wall. Uh, She is betrothed to Robert Baratheon, who had loved her since he grew up uh, with Ned um, as his best friend. By all accounts, she's very beautiful, but she had this wildness about her. Uh, Ned compares her personality and even looks to Arya to give you some idea about her. Ned mentioned that Lyanna probably would have carried a sword, too, similar to Arya if their lord father had allowed it. Um... Just to give you an idea of what kind of woman we're talking about, as a child, uh, at the tourney of Heron Hall, she found three squires bullying a young uh, Howland Reed, and she yelled at them that they're attacking her father's man, and she took up a blunted tourney sword and drove all three off. Um, this is a very powerful woman that we're dealing with, very strong-willed um, and independent, uh, especially for this given circumstances and time. Uh, speaking of this tourney at Harrenhal, um, this was a tourney that Rhaegar participated in, participated in, and he was in full beast mode that day. Uh, he unseated and defeated in the lists and jousting, uh, legends such as Sir Barriston the Bold in his prime, uh, Arthur Dane uh, the Sword of Mourning, uh, just plowed through these guys to win the contest. And when he's victorious... We saw this in season one, how the Knight of Flowers, Loras, uh, took the uh, prize and uh, this, these, these roses and he gave it to Sansa and crowned her as the queen of beauty of the tournament. This is a custom that the winner gets to do this uh, with the women. It's kind of like, you know, throwing a garter belt at wedding, whatever. Um, doesn't really mean anything, but it kind of does. Uh, he took it to Laurel of Roses, which in this case were blue winter roses. Uh, and remember this blue winter rose concept, uh, and he awarded this this laurel for Queen of Beauty. Rode right past his wife Elia, Elia, and gave it to Lyanna, which stirred a lot of controversy. Not only because he passed over his wife to kind of name her his sweetheart, but also at this point Lyanna was already betrothed to Robert Baratheon, so it's like kind of a double fuck you. Uh, Again, sticking to the facts, one year later Rhaegar up and ran off with Lyanna. This directly led to Robert's rebellion. Um and it led to several things. First of all, uh Brandon Stark rode to King's Landing and called out the old ki- called out Rhaegar and the old king, said uh and his father did too on a trial by combat. Uh the mad king had them both executed. Uh poor Ricard, uh was allowed to get in the full suit armor and then uh, his full plate armor. And then the Mad King said that he declared fire as his champion and had him roasted alive, uh, forcing Brandon uh, Brandon Stark to watch. Uh, And There's this uh, ingenious thing where Brandon was like put in a noose with his sword just out of his reach um, as he's watching his father die. And, you know, Brandon who had a very similar fiery temper and will to his sister, uh, was driven mad. And he trying to get he basically hung himself by trying to get to his sword as he's watching his father be roasted alive in his armor. Horrific. So there's a reason they call Eris the Mad King. Uh, then Aris, uh sent word to John Arryn, who was, uh, uh, who was keeping uh, both Robert Baratheon and Ned Stark as his uh, squires, um, and said, I want you to send them both to King's Landing so I can have their heads. And Jar- John Aaron said, fuck that. Raised his baron, uh, bar- banners and Robert's rebellion was on in earnest. Um, Rhaegar was finally killed in a titanic battle on the Trident River. Uh, it was basically him and Bobby B. Robert Baratheon squared off. Uh, Rhaegar severely wounded uh, Robert. But Robert was able to smash and just cave his chest in with his warhammer, uh, killing Rhaegar, uh, but wounding severely Robert. Um, this finally bought this kind of killing blow, the, where the royal army was defeated and the heir apparent was defeated, um, brought Tywin off the sidelines, and famously he came to King's Landing, said, Hey, I'm here as a friend. I'm here to protect you. Um, Meister Pycelle uh, counseled the king to let him in uh, even though Varys and Jaime is like no 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 my father's up to no good he let him in and the Lannisters sacked the city uh, Princess Elia uh, her son Aegon and daughter Rhaenys are murdered uh, by Amory Locke and Gregor Clegane uh, Jaime of course personally slew the Mad King to keep him from pre- uh, committing uh, suicide uh, earning him the title of Kingslayer uh, after this, um, you know, we had the famous scene of Ned walking in on jamie sitting on the re- the Iron Throne, and that kind of started their enmity. Uh, Ned then tracked his sister, and ag- again, Robert still recovering from his wounds, so Ned is the commander of the the, the coalition forces at this point, and he takes a small force uh, south to try to track down his sister, and he finds her at a small fortification on the border of Dorne this little tower that's kind of perched up on the mountains there, called the Tower of Joy. And this is about a year after her abduction, so the war and all that raged for a year. Uh, Ed has six of his close companions, including Howland Reed, who you'll recall Leanna saved from bullies back in the the tourney uh, a year ago. Uh, But he finds three Kingsguards standing in the way of him recovering his sister. Uh, Sir Arthur Dane, Sir Oswell Wint, and the Lord Commander, Gerald Hightower. All three some of the biggest badasses of Westeros. and they have an epic showdown. Um, you know Ned, Ned doesn't really want to kill these honorable men, uh, but he has to. and uh, there's a lot of like really awesome badass dialogue exchange and then they do battle. It's very sketchy what happens, but these three manage to kill everyone except for, except for Howland and, and Ned. And Ned, in fact, says that he would have been a goner except for Howland somehow protected him. We don't know a lot about this yet. um, Still to this day. Um, So he busts into the tower, Ned does. finds Leanna weak with fever. Um, She's on a bed of blood in a room filled with roses. Ned says that she's terribly afraid until she extracts this promise from him. Uh, He grants her... You know, we see all throughout Game of Thrones, Ned flashing back to her saying, promise me, Ned, promise me, Ned. This keeps flashing back to him in various situations we'll talk about. He consents to this promise and instantly the fear, the books say the fear leaves her eyes. She grips his hand tightly and then passes away. Ned then transports her bones all the way from Dorne to Winterfell, which is, you know, going from Miami to to the Twin Cities in Minnesota, basically. Um, and she's laid to rest, as we saw in on, uh, Season 1, right between her slain father and brother, Rickard and Brandon. Uh, then Ned Stark comes back from the war when he finally gets back to Winterfell with his sister's bones. He's also co- uh, toting a bastard baby. So those are the facts. Now let's talk about opinions and theories, okay? Brandon Stark and Robert Baratheon both claimed... That the Rhaegar uh, kidnapped Lyanna and was using her as basically a whore, raping her for his own enjoyment. That's the position that they took. Uh, People sympathetic to Rhaegar, including Viserys and even Sir Barristan, claimed that Rhaegar loved her. Rhaegar also is universally described, with the notable exception of Robert, uh, to be honorable and noble. This even includes Ned, which we'll talk about here in a minute. And even Robert, if you recall, in the, fir- in the in the first season when he's visiting Lyanna's tomb, um, almost kind of seems to acknowledge that he's like Rhaegar won, damn him! I won the battle, but he got her. Um, not that he kidnapped her, or that I mean, the way he said it almost was like a resignation of the fact that she did truly love. They had a love affair going on there. Uh, now, knowing what we know of both Lyanna and and Ned. It's very hard to imagine Ned having a high opinion of Rhaegar if he was some kidnapping rapist, right? And it's also hard for us to believe that Lyanna wouldn't have said something to this effect when she met Ra- uh, Ned, uh, that we wouldn't have this kind of ambigu- ambiguity about you know what kind of guy he was. Uh, we also know that uh, Lyanna wasn't totally on board with her engagement to Robert. Uh, she confides to Ned that she feared his nature would not allow him to remain faithful to her. And Ned said, look, 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 sis, Robert loves you. He's loved you for a long time and never seen anything like it. And she responds kind of ruefully, you know, love can't change a man's nature. And when we see, granted, he always loved Leanna best and Cersei was kind of like a, a you know, an afterthought. But the scale of his indiscretions and his appetites leads me to believe that she's probably right. She's probably right on about her man Bobby B here. Um, it's also kind of hard to square Ned's nature and how honorable he was and how seriously he took his vows and his promises with the concept of him fathering a bastard uh, out, uh, you know, cheating on Catelyn. It doesn't square with what we know. And, and, you know, no one's perfect, and that's one of the subversions of Game of Thrones. Still, it's just kind of hard for us to, to accept that. Um, the books describe Ra- Rob, Bran, Rickon, and Sansa as having the quote-unquote Tully look about their hair color, their features, their eyes, but they say that Jon and Arya have very similar long-faced dark features, something that Lyanna is described as having as well. Arya even said to resemble uh, her aunt, Lyanna. So if the book says Arya and Jon look the same, and Arya looks like Lianne, it's very easy to make that connection, that then Jon must have looked like her as well. When Ned was investigating Robert's Bastards, and he was going through that genealogy... Uh, he makes a connection in his mind to John, which makes sense because you know John is his bastard. He's investigating Robert's bastards. It's it's very natural for your mind to wander there. But then, in that same chapter, he 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 meditates on his promise that he made to his sister. Also, just a few pages later, he wonders idly about Rhaegar and if he would frequent brothels. And he says, "I think not." Again, showing how he thought that he was relatively an honorable person. Uh, he even recalls that this is the first time he's thought about Rhaegar in years. What could connect Lyanna, Rhaegar, and Jon in Ned's mind? There's an ancient prophecy also in Westeros of the prince that was promised. Uh, we've heard about this in the show. We're familiar about this in the books some people think it's uh, connected to the z uh as a azor a, 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 a high um but this savior figure to be heralded by a flaming red star something that the targaryens have been expecting for at least a thousand years some people say longer than that i think Melisandre says 5000 years um in the books and this wasn't in the show which we'll talk about maybe the discrepancies and how we can go, get around this here in a bit But in the books, during Danny's vision quest in the House of the Undying, she sees Rhaegar holding Aegon and naming him, saying that this this is a fitting name for the king, named after Aegon the Conqueror, right? Saying that he would be the prince that was promised, and his song shall be the song of ice and fire. But then he also says that the dragon must have three heads uh, to apparently fulfill this prophecy, or to fit the Aegon archetype. And he only had Aegon and uh, uh, Rhaenys at this point. The Targaryens, uh, you know, famously practiced polygamy. Aegon the Conqueror uh, had was wed to both of his warrior sisters, who all three of them uh, uh, rode dragons. Um, This, though, was frowned upon in Westeros by. Both people that held to the northern religions and to the south, uh, south, south southern religions of the, the Faith of the Seven. Um, but the Targaryens didn't really give a shit when they had dragons. Because, like, you don't like us? Well, here's our dragon you can talk to. As they slowly, their dragons died off and they became extinct, they kind of, and starting with uh, Baelor the Blessed, they really adopted the Faith of the Seven and that became less and less prominent. Um, but maybe Rhaegar believed in this prophecy so strongly that he's willing to take that risk because Elia was done. She couldn't have another baby. It would have killed her, could killed, killed the child. He needs this three-headed dragon. What's he going to do? Well, Aegon uh, married two women. They were even his sisters. Why can't I? This is for the greater gods. This is for making the prince's promise. This could save all of Westeros someday. You can see how this is kind of in his mind, thinking about this. Um, Elio's from Dorne, a nation strongly associated with the sun, with heat, with fire. Lyanna is from Winterfell. You know, this, this Rhaegar is a very poetic dude. He has a silver harp. He sings songs, um, songs that made Lyanna weep at the tourney at Hall. Maybe that's the first time she fell for him. Uh, you can see... Uh, This Song of Ice and Fire, this woman from Dorne giving birth to two children, this woman from the icy north giving birth to one, this would very much appeal to to his sense of uh, poetic justice there. Why also would Rhaegar devote three Kingsguards to guarding his lover at a time of crisis? They were at war, and not only did he send... Three guardmen, which is almost half the force, but he sinned the best ones. Well, this makes sense if he had secretly married Liana and was carrying she was carrying what he believed was the unborn third head of the dragon. Or uh, at, at this point, uh, Aegon and uh, 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 Ranis are already dead, uh, so it's the last surviving uh, member of the royal family in his mind. That would... Very much explain why he'd have his three best warriors protecting her. It also neatly explains the promise that Lyanna extracted from Ned. She knew Jon's half Targaryen blood would put him in mortal danger from the usurper Robert Baratheon. We saw in season one what an unthinking hatred he had for all Targaryens. He was willing to murder a teenage Daenerys, um, even though he saw all of his council people saw her as being no threat because he hated them. Uh, he'd murder children. Why would she think that she he would do anything less than than her child of uh, uh, Rhaegar's? Uh, some try to say that this was Ned's promise to return her to Winterfell. That she was concerned about where she was being buried. But can you imagine someone with like Arya's disposition at this moment giving a shit where her bones rest? It doesn't make sense that she'd be so afraid. Where where am I going to be buried? Where am I going to be mar- buried? promise me you'll take me back to Winterfell, Ned. And then as soon as he said, yeah, I will, she just relaxes and is, is serene as she faces death. It doesn't really make sense. Why a woman that would chase off three squires with a blunted tourney sword would care about where her bones rested. Uh, another one of Ned's memories was of Lyanna, uh, was triggered when she was seeing Sansa pleading for her wolf, a lady's life. Uh, she said it reminded him of Lyanna, if this was a promise to take him back at Winterfell, why would Sansa begging for someone who she loves, life, trigger this memory in Ned? That, too, doesn't really make sense. Ned also remembers this prince, uh, the price that this promise has cost him, and he mentions this several times in the novel, uh, Game of Thrones. Uh, what did it cost him to bring Leanna's bones back home? Even Robert didn't seem offended. You know? Uh, he was kind of like, it's a shame that, uh, uh, you know, she wasn't buried somewhere where, you know, I could get around to visiting that often, but you know, he wasn't like, it didn't cost him their friendship or anything like that. What price did he pay? But if that promise was keeping John's secrets, well, that cost him plenty in terms of his personal honor, uh, and even his wife's love and respect. This is a very difficult, you know, this is really the only thing non idyllic about the Starks' uh, household, really. It also neatly explains Leanna's death, not from a mere fever, but dying on a bed of blood. Rhaegar's children were all difficult births, each more dangerous than the last. Could Lyanna have died on a bed of blood, her, or her birthbed, died giving birth to Jon? It seems like it's something that could be likely. In another vision of Danny's in the House of the Undying, she sees a blue rose growing from a chink in a, a wall of ice. Well, who do we know is connected with blue roses? That, uh, the, the, the novels, uh, from Ned's point of view, tell her that the blue winter roses were some of her favorites. That's what uh, Rhaegar had, uh, had presented her as the queen of beauty at the, at the, at the uh, Hall tourney. A blue flower growing from a chink of ice. Who do we know is on a wall of ice? At this point, it's almost becoming too obvious, isn't it? Ned also never refers to John as his son. When he came home with him, Catelyn remembers his reaction to her questions. Uh, He said, uh, Never ask me about John as cold as ice. He is my blood. That's all you need to know. Not his son, his blood. Another time... When he's confronting Cersei about the mounting evidence of her relationship with Jamie and how her children are bastards of incest, uh, and why uh, she had uh, that she and Jaime had tried to kill Bran, he realizes that she was protecting their ancestral relationship and thereby also protecting her children. Like we talked about earlier in the cast, Ned thinks if it came to that, the life of some child I did not know against Rob and Sansa and Arya and Bran and Rickon. What would I do? Even more so, what would Catelyn do if it was John's life against the children of her body? He did not know. He prayed. He never would. It's a quote from Game of Thrones, and interesting that he mentions his children, but John is not one of them. Only in relation to how Catelyn would react to a children, child and not of not her body, but he lists all of his children John's not there. Very curious. In Game of Thrones, Bran has a dream. I dreamed about the crow last night, he talks to Meister Lewin. The one with three eyes, he flew into my bedchamber and told me to come with him, so I did. He went down to the crypts. Father was there and we talked. He was very sad. And why is that, Lewin peered through his tube. It was something to do with John, I think. The dream had been deeply disturbing, more so than any other crow dreams. What would be connected with John, And his father, down in the crypts, talking about John. John also has a similar dream in Game of Thrones. He relates, I find myself in front of a door to the crypts. It's black inside, and I can see the stairs spiraling down. Somehow I know I have to go down there, but I do not want to. I'm afraid of what might be waiting for me. I scream that I'm not a Stark. This isn't my place, but it's no good. I have to go down anyway. So I start down feeling the walls as I descend with no torch to light the way. It gets darker and darker until I want to scream, and that's when I always wake. What is beneath the crypts of Winterfell that has something to do with Jon? There's one piece of evidence that kind of connects with this. It's pretty weak, but I think it's actually one of the coolest ones. During a sack of Winterfell, when it's set to fire, Bran sees, while he's warging into his wolf summer, uh, he sees this... Uh, you know his home a light on fire and he describes it uh, thus the smoke and ash clouded his eyes as a summer's eyes brand seeing through them and in the sky he saw a great winged snake whose roar was as a river of flame he bared his teeth then the snake was gone it's kind of an imagery of a dragon flying out of winterfell as it's on fire and there's a lot of stories and prophecies about st- stone dragons and them being awakened in the song of ice and fire a series some think stone dragons literally are the dragons of stone on dragonstone uh, and they're meant to be awakened or there's a cache of petrified eggs hitting there on that island waiting to be hatched some speak of an ice dragon that's entombed in the wall uh, the ironborn have their own sea dragon legends the bones of the greatest of the naga are said to still be found on their sacred island of old wick uh it's unclear whether those are stone formations that resemble a dragon or petrified dragon bones or real dragon bones. But regardless, some have used the above passage by brand to suggest that there was a dragon under Winterfell that was awoke during this fire or perhaps an egg that hatched. Um, and this dragon will somehow have significance later. Now I think this is ridiculous. If a dragon had hatched in a clash of Kings from Winterfell, we would have heard about it you know, somewhere rampaging around the north, right? Um, But regardless, uh, it's probably just Summer's kind of bestial way of describing what the fire roaring out of Winterfell would look like or how the red comet, which was hanging in the sky, kind of looked to him. Um, But it's also interesting in another passage when Bran and Rickon and Asha and Hodor are hiding out beneath the crypts of Winterfell, Osha makes reference to the group making enough noise to wake a dragon. What are these references to stone dragons beneath Winterfell are actually another sly hint to Jon's parentage. Lyanna statues of stone. If Rhaegar really did marry her in secret, uh, Westeros' tradition would have him place his cloak of protection about her shoulders, like we saw Tyrion uh, humiliatingly did with Sansa. His cloak would undoubtedly be emblazoned with a dragon, arguably making her a dragon as well as a wolf. And what if, out of respect for her love for Rhaegar and her child, Ned had her interred with this cloak? A stone dragon beneath Winterfell. This could also tie into Leanna's promise with Ned. You know, promise me, Ned, promise me. Maybe part of that promise was that she would be returned to Winterfell and buried with a piece of evidence about Jon's parentage. Some say it could be this cloak of protection. Some theorize that Rhaegar left his famous harp, the silver harp with the silver strings that he sang all these beautiful songs with. He was a warrior poet. Um, Left this at the Tower of Joy, and she's buried with that as proof that when the time was right, she could prove that Jon's parentage, uh, that she was married to Rhaegar and that he had this claim for the throne. Waking the Stone Dragon could then refer to John's eventually becoming aware of his parentage and what it means or implies. That's kind of a cool theory. And there's really only two pieces of evidence against the R plus L plus J theory. This is the least tinfoily theory of all of the books, in my opinion. In fact, I take it as fact. But there are a couple uh, uh, pieces of evidence against it. One, there are direct mentions of John's parentage in the book. uh, And Leanna is never one of those mentioned. Ashara Dane, the little sister of the famous brother Arthur, who died at the Tower of Joy protecting Lyanna. Um, She's mentioned in the books. uh, Barristan said that one of the Stark boys had bedded her at the Tourney of Harrenhal and got her with child. Catelyn and Cersei are both aware of the rumor and confront Ned about it, but he refuses to confirm or deny it whenever asked. Uh, However, Selmy recalls that Lady Ashara's bastard was a stillborn daughter, so that doesn't quite pan out. Uh, Lady Shar eventually throws herself off a tower. Some believe because of the death of her child. Some due to the death of for the man who fathered it, which could be Brandon. Uh, that's my vote anyway. Uh, but the accounts are ambiguous. Another possibility is Willa, who was the wet nurse at Starfall, the home of the Danes. Uh, the show touches on this as Robert was kind of needling Ned in the first season about that winch she was fond of. Uh, and she must have been some woman to make the great Ned Stark lose on her. Uh, and Ned wasn't keen to talk about that. Uh, Edric Dane, who is squiring for Beric Dondarrion at the time in the books, uh, told Arya when she fell in with the uh, brothers, uh, Brotherhood Without Banners that Jon and he were milk brothers since Willow was his network, uh, wet nurse as well. It's possibly that this is something Ned and Willow were deliberately spreading to protect Jon. Uh, so that's, again, I think kind of weak evidence and it seems like it's more rumor and conjecture. Uh, the other piece of evidence that this is uh, against the L or R plus L equals J theory is that the mountain of evidence that points towards Lyanna, that is almost too obvious. And uh, George Martin almost never works on that level. And that's not a bad point, honestly. But the majority of this evidence comes across in Game of Thrones. And George Martin originally intended this series to be just a trilogy. So what seems obvious to us with almost 20 years of analysis, four more books to think about it and other hints that we've gotten, it might seem a lot more natural and less forced, less obvious if uh, Martin thought he was a third of the way through and he'd have this thing wrapped up in five or six years, right? There's a lot of implications to Jon uh, being the son of Rhaegar. For one, with Aegon dead, it would put him uh, in pole position as the true legitimate heir, of the kingdom if you just set aside the whole line of usurpers right it'd make him a natural for one of the three heads of the dragon along with perhaps danny in addition it could even make john snow be the prophets uh prophesized prince that was promised or perhaps even azor ahai reborn the savior that's going to protect us from the long night the long winter yes i know i know Aegon might not be dead and that john as a man of the night's watch cannot hold lands or titles and oh there's that little troublesome detail that as of Dance with Dragons, John is either dead or grievously wounded. But we'll have to leave that for tinfoil for another day. So, hope you've enjoyed this uh, first podcast we've done. Um, If you have suggestions for another tinfoil conspiracy, I've got quite a few lined up to talk about each week. Uh, But if you'd like to suggest or put ones in front of others or have your comments on this or alternate takes, I'd appreciate it. Send that in to Game of Thrones at ballmove.com. Um, and that's it. We will see you Sunday night for instant take on Game of Thrones and the next Tuesday for our full cast, including another issue episode of uh, our spoilers and spoilers beyond the wall. And with that, I'm your host, Aaron, and I'll see you then.